0: does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q-certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties, a two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty, and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today, or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all.
1: Day two for Kevin and Query here at the NFL Combine, Indiana Convention Center. Kind of a ghost town, to be honest with you, on this Thursday morning. Uh, Jake, I think you have to drive up US 31 to find the most hungover individual in the state of Indiana (laughs) here on this Thursday morning. That would be the one and only Mike Bray. Doing shots, man. Doing shots at the linebacker last night. Shots of Jameson for Mike Bray I, they have a game on Saturday I, I wonder if his preparation will be affected at all as they close out the regular season but the final home game for Mike Bray last night and and as someone that has certainly had a lot of affinity for that man over the last couple of decades and you know it's, it's waned a little bit here in the final year um, I did enjoy him going out with a victory last night. It'll be a lot of NFL chatter for us here at the Combine. Field Yates from ESPN, Dan Orlovsky from ESPN. We will recap what Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard had to say yesterday at their respective podiums. A couple of late tips tonight on the hardwood. The Pacers at 830 in San Antonio. Purdue up at the Kohl Center. That is a nine o'clock tip for the Boilers, uh, but Jake, we would be remiss if we did not begin with uh, David Benner, a guy that I know you were very close with, and you know, I, to me, the 28 years that he had at the Indiana Pacers, you last 28 years anywhere, Yeah. you are a pro, and you are loyal, and that is, those are the two words I think of right away with David Benner, and then the third would be, he just had that quick wit. And I think you see his relationship with Reggie Miller, which is well-documented. Um, it's that quick wit that
2: I think helped him connect with players so, so well. Yeah, David Benner, um, and I would assume, I'm going to err on the side of a lot of people who listen to this program, perhaps didn't know you know, the totality. I'm sure they knew the name, obviously, because David Benner had been a writer in particular for the Indianapolis Star, and his brother, Bill Benner, is synonymous with sports coverage in central indiana but they are two guys that grew up on the south side of indianapolis went to center grove bill benner of course still actively involved in the city but david had been a writer covering the pacers for the newspapers here and when he transitioned in 1994 over to becoming the essentially media relations communications director for the pacers he had an incredibly efficient manner in which he did things and by by that i mean and, and this would have been the infancy of my career here locally so for that matter i was in college at that time but when i first was working i remember his i still remember his office number because every night we would call it because he would simply leave a voicemail you've reached the voicemail of david benner with the indiana pacers Media members wishing to attend tomorrow for shoot around should be at Market Square Arena by 12:30 p.m. If you have any other questions, please leave me a message da 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 every day. And it was just perfectly efficient. You always knew where things stood, but more so the thing that I loved about David Benner, and this is what I told Bill when David, you know, moved into hospice almost a month ago for that matter, um, was the fact that from the time Kevin that that I and, and I'm only going off my own personal experience here, but from the time that I started in this market and was a total grunt, and by that I mean I I was not on the air at Channel 6, I was basically a coffee mixer, but any time that I was at Market Square Arena, later obviously Bankers Life, GameBridge, whatever you want to call it, David Bitter never treated me any different. He treated me the same when I was doing a morning or afternoon radio show as he did when i was the number 4 guy at the number 5 station in town it didn't matter to him he treated everyone with the same amount of respect and i always appreciated that because it didn't make me feel lesser when i was when i had progressed but rather it made me feel progressed when i was lesser and i always appreciated that about him last year last season david was a huge nascar fan huge Dave Matthews and NASCAR, right? That's right. Those were his two things, and I had had him spot with me for the Brickyard a handful of years ago. But knowing that he was that his cancer had returned, I called him up and said, "Do you want a spot for me again this year?" And he said, "Let me think about it." And then he called back and said, "You know what? I, I want to give it a shot. I, I want to try to do it." And I said, "Okay, you know," and because he didn't know how he was going to feel, quite frankly, and. On the first day of the Brickyard Weekend, we were calling, I was calling the race from the turn one perch at IMS, which you have to really contort your body. It's not an easy place to get into, to to climb into the perch. And we got out there and and it took David a while. It it took him a while to lift his legs up and contour himself and move down. And a couple of times I offered, you know, you want to, no, 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 I got it and it took him a while but it, but he, he got in there and i remember he looked at me and he was like man i'm sorry and i'm like yeah you don't you don't need to apologize that it took you an extra 45 seconds to to get where we need to go i you know and i'll never forget during the course of that race up there in the basket david was sitting and he was looking out over and there wasn't much going on at the track but i was i, I looked over at him And he was just looking out over the speedway and he looked like a guy that was perfectly content and he just he looked in his element and i've always admired that when it was clear that his body was defying him that he managed to find what it was within him to give him a piece at the way that things were happening and he called me that night and said I don't think I'm going to be able to make it tomorrow. He had been to Dave Matthews the night before, by the way. So he's like, I'm tired. And I said, I totally understand. And he was he was apologetic. Man, I, I don't want you to think I let you down. You didn't let me down. And he, I, the best thing I can say is that he was, and we'll play some audio later in the show, but he was respected by the athletes that he represented. He was respected by the media that he served as the liaison between with those athletes. And more so, he was a dear guy who loved, loved, loved Indianapolis. And his footprint, his thumbprint in this town will be felt for a very long time. And I am personally grateful that I was able to both from the time in which I lived and the career in which I had, have both intersect with him. He was a dear guy.
1: Jake, it'd be a long list of people who are certainly grieving um, with David's loss, but you know his wife Jane and Bill, of course, and I think Mike Wells and him had an extremely close relationship. Uh, talking with Mike Chappell yesterday, you know Tom Reepman, so many people. You go on and on, and you know, I thought it was really a beautiful tribute. Several beautiful tributes you saw yesterday. Uh, Mark Jackson had one of them last night on the ESPN broadcast. I think it was. Like Portland and the Pelicans, maybe somebody, some Western Conference matchup, and Mark Jackson, you know, took that platform and spoke very eloquently about David Benner. I know Reggie Miller had a tweet yesterday. Miles Turner as well. Um, so it, it's just a. Um, just a big big loss in this community and a guy that you know up until boy the start of the season he was working all last year and you could tell he, he was struggling but he wanted to you know give it one last hurrah and, and travel the road games and all of those things and again always uh, very respectful and just such a professional very loyal to the Pacers and uh, you know, he always would just crack that little joke to you, uh, when you least expected it, it always kind of caught you off guard, but it was a great way to, uh, to break the ice. So, yeah,
2: he, um, he definitely had a quick wit and, you know, Kevin, it is surreal to me as a, and, and I can't imagine being, you know, as you mentioned, Tom Reitman, Mark Ambrogi, Mike Chappell, Bill Benner. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of them, a yeah. lot of guys, definitely Mike Wells, um, but Mike Wells, but all of those guys, you know, we all knew, obviously, that, that David w- was was ill for a long time there and, and the resiliency that he showed. Um, but my heart goes out to those guys because it was a huge loss for all of them when we lost Robin. I mean, Robin was absolutely the straw mixing the drink for the majority the the star news guys robin was he was the glue man i mean robin was the guy and uh, outside of robin it would be david quite frankly because a lot of guys the one thing about david that i think a lot of people don't realize and i wouldn't expect anybody certainly outside that worked in the media to, to know this which is why i'm illuminating it if you had worked in the indianapolis media and you fell out of favor or you were on the outside looking in or you were between jobs, You were David always treated you the same and would make sure that if you wanted to come down to a game, you could come down to a game and still be in that mix. And he treated everybody like they were still in that mix. So with Robin's departure, David kind of became – David and Bill both were, were the glue of that group. And I feel for those guys because I know that they are very, very sad.
1: And uh, for those that missed it yesterday, Greg Doyle, really, really nice column and a tribute to David Benner, so I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, again, good Thursday morning to you. We are here live at the Combine. It is day two for us here. It's the first day of workouts. The defensive linemen will work out along with the linebackers this afternoon. The defensive backs will meet the media here in a little bit. And then uh, really the fireworks, I think, begin for the Colts, Tomorrow, when you have the quarterbacks beat the media and then work out on Saturday, I, I did want to give Mark a chance to uh, update us on a little bit of a traffic situation that he ran into on this Thursday morning. Uh, Mark, the West Side, a bit of a uh, parking lot today.
3: Yeah, so I got out, I live in Brownsburg, so I take 74 to 465 usually to like you know Dan Jones and. Got on uh, 465 South, and it was all brake lights. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on here? Apparently, there's a rolled semi going on. All lanes closed. They're diverting traffic at around I-40 in Washington. So, if you have to take... If there's any reason you usually take I-465 south, I would avoid that at all costs this morning because they said it could go well into the morning before that gets cleaned up. So I jumped off at 10th Street and took the side roads to get downtown. Uh, anyone that has to do a similar commute, I would recommend that as your route today.
1: Yeah, this is from Matt Bayer, of course, WIBC Traffic. West sides, uh southbound I-465 closed at Washington Street because of a rolled semi, and northbound I-465 has the left lane closed. At Washington Street while crews assist reroutes are loaded so it's gonna be a long commute if you are over there on that part of town here on this Thursday morning he adds that cleanup could take all of rush hour Uh, Shane Steichen is going to join us tomorrow again today field Yates and Dan Orlovsky a little bit later Jake yesterday we did hear from Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard at the podium um, you know, I, I don't know if you had any grand takeaways from either of their media sessions. Um, you know, I thought Ballard certainly threw caution to any sort of trade-up idea. I would counter with, um, I think they're only about like 50% away through their evaluation process. So basically what he said yesterday was, we haven't fallen in love with anybody to the point of trading up. Um, I think back to that 2018 draft and they didn't fall in love with Quentin Nelson and think he was worthy of a top 10 pick until his pro day. Uh, which pro days you know typically happen in late March, so um, I thought that to me was what stood out the most from ballard is and, and I get it because it 's Ballard, but he is a guy that is going to have to be overwhelmingly convinced in order to feel like he needs a trade up
2: do you think my my takeaway, Kevin, was twofold number one, I think it was a more humble chris ballard that 's neither here nor there towards building a football team, but um i I'm not gonna be told you so guy, but I guess I'll be a little bit of told you so guy, but like you know when he was open about the fact that that perhaps his philosophy on building a roster you know i, I mean with any job you 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 make adjustments along the way right um but perhaps his philosophy is one that he tries now from a different standpoint in terms of building it i mean I'm thinking you were pretty hurt with people over the years that that offered an alternate perspective but I get that and I I appreciate and understand that Uh, it would be exhausting to be in his position and have everything you do critiqued because everyone can do your job and that would be that would be tough Um, but I, I do think that Kevin there's a little bit of poker playing as well because it's in the Colts best interest it's in the Colts best interest to present it as though there's no one that jumps out at them at number one and that they would be perfectly happy staying at number four so that other teams probably – you know, if the Colts come out and they say, look, there is a guy in this draft, there is a quarterback that we have to get, we absolutely have to get that guy. I'm not saying that other teams buy into that and then make a move, but you want to downplay it, right? You want to downplay the position that you're in. Yeah, I mean, the Colts are in a position where it's
1: not like teams are too worried about them necessarily, like, trading back or what are they going to do it for in the sense of – They don't have Chicago-type class. But I think it's in
2: their best interest to have people guessing,
1: though. Yeah, I I think, you know, to me, if you're Houston, I mean, if you really want a guy, again, you've got to go up to number one, knowing that there are teams behind you. And I think one thing to keep in mind when you look at the Colts' situation, I feel like if you look at the first, like, four or five teams right behind Indianapolis— I could talk all of, or I could talk myself into any of them taking a quarterback, right? And I guess that was the other kind of big news item from yesterday. Probably more impacted Mark's Bears was the Jalen Carter news from Georgia. You know, arguably the top prospect in this draft class, a defensive lineman. Um, he is, he was arrested late last night by Athens PD um, for an involvement in a car accident last month that killed one of Carter's teammates at Georgia and another Georgia staffer. Um, I think the report is that Carter originally told police he was not at the scene uh, when this happened, but he ended up being at the scene, and I think there are some questions of was this a drag racing sort of incident. I tend to think this could have some big implications on the Colts, not because Jalen Carter was necessarily – a prospect the Colts would be taking it for. But, Jake, when you look at this draft, the two most popular names, non-quarterback division, that you hear about going in the top five are Jalen Carter from Georgia and Will Anderson from Alabama. Well, if teams are now a little bit hesitant about Carter, and to be perfectly honest, there were some character questions before this about Jalen Carter. If you're Chicago at one or you're Arizona at three, and now all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't know if he's worth that number one or number three pick. You might be more willing to trade down, trade back. And so I think that news yesterday does have a trickle-down effect to Indianapolis. Again, not because they would take Carter. It's because now Chicago and or Arizona might be a little bit more willing to trade back because they say, man, I don't know if anybody's worth right number one or number three non-quarterback division. So, I thought that was arguably the biggest news item from yesterday's combine that has impact on the
2: Colts. I don't know. I think what the Colts are trying to figure out, all teams are trying to figure out, Kevin. And this is what makes this draft interesting. The guys, you know, the the three or four names that we hear about that are quarterbacks that will be evaluated as top five picks... Are they thought of as top five picks because they are top five talent? Or are they thought of as top five picks because you've got to have a quarterback and they happen to be the best ones in this draft? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And if if the latter is true, then who are the non-quarterbacks that are up there? And do you have depth at that position? Or are we looking at a quarterback-heavy front end of the first round by default? Again, I think quarterback could go one, two, three. I, I, I totally asked. agree. And what I'm saying is, is that because there's one, two, three talent, or is that because it's the most prioritized position and there are no other guys that jump out as you at you as one, yeah, two, three?
1: it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think there's an arms race in the AFC right now especially that Houston and Indianapolis sit there and they realize, boy, if we don't join it, we're just going to get lapped. And you could argue they've already been lapped when you consider the youth and the talent that is at quarterback in the AFC. So I do think that – is a big, big part of it. Uh, a couple other Ballard items from yesterday. Uh, he was pretty non-committal on Matt Ryan and, and what the plan will be for him in 2023. I would assume he's cut in the next two weeks. We'll see how that plays out. Um, he did sound open to some veteran cuts. You know, again, Ryan Kelly, I think, is probably the most popular name, non-quarterback that you hear about. With that, uh, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive end, those are some other positions he pointed out of need. Again, we're going to have Shane Sykin on Friday. Jake, yesterday was kind of the second time we heard from him in a, in a large media session. I continue to feel what I felt in that first press conference. This dude is a direct, concise communicator, and he is all ball. I, I, I don't see him... <laughs> wanting to entertain a whole lot of questions that are not football related, he just right. seems locked in 24/7, 365. Um, both him and Ballard, for what it's worth, you know, pretty much said all quarterbacks come, or you know, quarterbacks come in different shapes and sizes. You know, again, how much do you read into that? How much do you don't? Um, the big thing Steichen reiterated was accuracy, and then finding. That that, that it, like what separates this guy. Felt like Justin Herbert had that when they had conversations with Herbert leading into the 2020 draft before the Chargers took him with the sixth pick. But accuracy continues to be the big point that Shane Steichen drives
2: home. I thought, um, you know, Ballard also on with John. I mean, the one thing about Ballard to me, and Kevin, you know, I'm talking about how It's in his best interest or just the organization's best interest to to kind of play poker a little bit, but at the same time, he's always been pretty transparent, truth be told, in retrospect. You know what I mean? Like, we try to outthink, I think, sometimes what they're trying to say, and then you look at it and you go, you know, he's pretty truthful about what was going on, Uh, you know, so...
1: And that's, I guess, where the awkwardness is reading into the hesitancy about trading up answer. Like, I could totally see Ballard saying, no, I love picks. Um, I don't trade up often, and if you're trading up, you're sending a message to your entire locker room that that guy is worthy of being the best player in this draft or one of, you know, whatever, the the second pick. Um, I could see him having that thought. I also think it's worth pointing out, it's March 1st. I mean, Shane Steichen, yesterday might have been the first time he's ever talked to any of these quarterbacks. I mean, Shane Steichen's going to have a big part in this decision process. So I do think we are still early, I mean, we're, we're probably only about halfway through their evaluation process at quarterback. I mean, well, I'll, I'll continue to be in the trade-up camp because if my job was on the line, I don't want to risk somebody picking the quarterback for me. I want to be the one making that pick, and I'm not one that's looking to dodge three bullets and sitting there
2: at number four. You know the two things that, that I've noticed this morning? Uh, number one, I'm almost self-conscious of this. We're the only people here. Like... Everyone can hear us. Now, I would say that, except for that no one is here to hear us. You scared off the Chicago guys? Yeah, the Chicago guys are gone. I mean, it is, there is no one here. And secondly, and this is, uh, I'm not saying that, that kleptomania is anything you know for which I've ever struggled, but the Lions, were are sitting directly across from the Lions' little area, their cage, if you will. Uh, they brought a second helmet that they have on display. Which, I, did they bring that? Just well, I saw in case? Dan Campbell wearing it in the hallway <laughs> yesterday, so I think
1: he just removed that. Did they
2: bring that just in case they, they lose one of them? Oh, yeah, I just think We're you are the only know, people in
1: here. Never know what an Oklahoma drill could break out today <laughs> for the Lions. So Dan Campbell always prepared on that front. Uh, I did not see you or Mark at the door 645 last night. Uh, it was an emotional night in the Bowen household to watch Mike Bray's final home game.
2: Well, you know, I saw the. Were you busy? I was, I was more interested in the post-game, Jamison shots. Yeah, at the linebacker. Than the game itself, right? Yeah, a little linebacker action for
1: Mike Bray afterwards. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh. I had no idea that Pittsburgh was the best team in the ACC.
2: Yeah, the twenty-fifth ranked, fourteen and four. How about that? <laughs> in the ACC, uh, Mike. They went into the buzz saw, Kevin. They ran into the what buzzsaw. A hostile environment
1: inside of Purcell pavilion last night. As we say this, a former Notre Dame football coach is currently walking away from us to get his Thursday morning started. Uh, Mark Dykten, you care to guess who the Notre Dame football coach is that Jake Quarry and I are watching walk to his radial
2: perch right now? Charlie Weiss. Uh, your hint was going to be, I would say, it's less walk and more shuffle. Yeah, Charlie doesn't look great. Charlie
1: Weiss is the correct answer. Charlie Weiss in the building. Um, I, I, I know, Jake, I've said this numerous times. I'm done with Mike Bray, and I'm frankly glad that he's decided to retire, but I can also say he gave, he's given me a whole lot of joy as a Notre Dame basketball fan over the last two decades, and just what an easy dude to root for. So easy to root for, um, some unbelievable moments. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but really likable personality. I mean, Notre Dame basketball was a joke before he got there. I mean, I'm obviously a digger, give it a nice run there. But I think they had missed a tournament like in 10, 11 straight years before he got there, right at the turn of the century. Um, And I know full well this is Notre Dame basketball. From a resource standpoint, from people that care in South Bend standpoint, you are going to play more like 10th fiddle to the football program. Hell, to the women's program up there. So thank you to Mike Bray. I thought last night was a great end to his career there. Um, Did you do a shot at home? Uh, I did a little Jameson. Did you really? I did a little Jameson. Nice. it on the rocks a little Jameson for Mike Bray last night. Okay. I'm worried
2: about his hangover today. <laughs> I saw him do one shot. There was a video of him doing a shot of Jameson. Do you think he did multiple? I, boy, it looked like he had a couple drinks in his hands at time. Jack
1: Swarbrick was there, the athletic director. I hope they get on a run in the ACC tournament next week. I mean a run would be relative, right? They played a guy late in the game last night that hadn't scored a point in two and a half years. That's kind of the state of the program right now. Get them all in. Get them all in, right?
3: tear up at any point, Kev?
1: I I will admit there were some I'm-gonna-miss-him moments. Wow. Okay. There were. There were some of those moments. Um, I mean, think about it. I mean, he's the coach that – I mean, Jake, insert favorite team here and the coach that you've had for two decades and –
2: well, I don't you've know been, if you know this or not, Kevin, but... it's such a joke of a program that... Let me, let me inform you something. I grew up a diehard IU basketball fan, right? Mm-hmm. Robert um, Montgomery and Mike
1: Bray, slightly different.
2: Indiana really hasn't had the opportunity as a fan base to have ceremonial, see them on the way out, stand and give an ovation for their final game that we knew about ahead of time situation, right? Yeah, it was more of an <laughs> IDS got... and Dunn Meadow sort of situation <laughs> I... there. You got Bob Knight, <laughs> fired. Tom Crean, <laughs>
1: Tom Crean tried to cut down the nets before his final game, I think. <laughs> Archie Miller. And <laughs> Bloomington. Yeah. I mean, there was like a 300 people in the building last night in South Bend. I think I think the X players made up the biggest crowd of the season for Notre Dame. <laughs> you should have gone up. Last night. Uh, tonight, again, Pacers and Spurs. That is an 8-30 tip. Tyrese Halliburton is questionable for that one. And as we said, Purdue and Wisconsin at 9 o'clock. Wisconsin's best player, Chucky Hepburn, got banged up over the weekend. So
2: that will be something to keep an eye out. Purdue can uh, outright Big Ten title it, right? They can. That is correct. Things have started to open back up for them. And, again, it's going to be interesting to me. I still think Purdue needs to finish fairly strong here in order to – they may be still a number one seed, but it is – that number one seed right now is coated in butter.
1: Yeah, they're clinging, clinging to totally. the final number one seed right now, if you believe a lot of the bracket pundits out there. So that is a 9 o'clock tip from the Cole Center. Today, Field Yates, Dan Orlovsky, and Zach Kiefer. Kevin and Corey, Thursday morning, workouts begin late this afternoon at the Combine. Live here from the Convention Center, Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. <laughs>
0: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The
2: Fan. And we'll begin with college basketball, not so much going over what happened last night because, as we just talked about, obviously the Notre Dame win over Pitt was a good one for the Fighting Irish. I think we know that the season, obviously, a disappointing one for Notre Dame. But Mike Bray I'll speak for yourself. knocking off the 25th-ranked team in the land last night in South Bend and then doing shots afterwards. The schedule for tonight, it's Evansville and in Indiana State. That is the Moval Tournament, Arch Madness, as they call it, in St. Louis. Evansville comes in with a five-game losing streak. Uh, the Trees have lost two straight, but Indiana State, one would think, actually it's this afternoon, 3.30 this afternoon, 20-11 and 11 for Indiana State. Valpo and Murray State, that game taking place at 7 o'clock tonight, and then, as you had mentioned, Kevin, a place that's been a house of horrors for some teams, not necessarily Purdue, I think Purdue probably would tell you they'd rather play at Wisconsin than at Minnesota, but Purdue at Wisconsin tonight, 9 o'clock tip, Boilers coming in at 24-5, and, 5. and Wisconsin, a down year, but this is certainly one that Purdue, even though they should get it, pretty much has to have.
1: Yeah, very un Wisconsin like season for them as of late. Chucky Hepburn, um, their lead guard, he is questionable for this matchup. Uh, got banged up, and they lost to Michigan over the weekend. Only played 20 minutes in that one. Purdue is favored by four and a half as it's their final road game of the season.
2: Swoosh, Mark. Swoosh. Swoosh. Swoosh.
1: Thank you. Tonight in, Santa, in San Antonio, it's the Pacers and the Spurs. How about this, Jake? The Pacers are favored by four on the road. That's not something we've said too often this season. Again, Tyrese Halliburton is questionable with a calf strain. It, when you look at the standings right now, like when we come back on Monday and do the show, the Pacers could be like in 12th in the tankathon. Right now, they're sixth. It is very jumbled. And with them winning these first two games to start the road trip, uh, the Pacers. Could move the other way, which understandably so. I know that probably makes some Pacers fans feel a bit awkward when you're talking about how this season will be viewed. Um, again, they have won their first two on this road trip. It is at San Antonio. That is an 8:30 tip. The Spurs have lost 16 of 17,
2: but they did win the other night. By the way, doing a quick take-a-thon. Uh-huh. Let's check in on Indiana. <laughs> no, it's no, it's. Isn't that it? Mark, do you have the jingle? Yeah, just one oh. second. We're, we're just trying to get the swoop. First. Mark, did you officially take the day off, or is this just... Uh, I probably should one? after that commute this morning. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm just kidding you. Um, with the sixth pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select... I'm going to say his name wrong, but then so would David Stern. Jerace Walker from the University of Houston. Uh, this has Brandon Miller still going fourth overall, by the way. Yeah, Walker is like a
1: four-man, kind of in that range. Again, a lot of wings, fours, so is a good thing for the Pacers considering their needs. Mark, let's actually end with your commute on this Thursday morning because I think for people on the west side right now, it's something that they could be just waking up to.
3: Yeah, so uh, rolled semi on I-465 South. They are diverting traffic at Washington Street. So if you have to get anywhere near that area, avoid I-465 South at all costs. I took 10th Street to get downtown. I recommend anyone who has to do a similar commute to do the same, because it's going to be a I mess for a most text. of the morning.
2: I just got a text. That says, Jake, I'm on Holt Road. It's like the race just let out. Yeah, so. Jason Jason tweeted
1: us. He goes, Holt Road from I-70 to Rockville is overloaded with diverted traffic. I'd suggest Linhurst, Tibbs, or High School I, w- I was going to say, the, the,
3: the farther away you can get off away from Washington Street, the better. 10th Street wasn't too bad when I got off of it, but I could tell Rockville was all brake lights as well. So the sooner you can get away from Washington Street, the better.
1: We come back here again live at the Combine. Workouts begin today for the defensive linemen and linebackers. That will be this afternoon. We'll continue to hit on what Chris Boward and Shane Steichen said yesterday. Also, there is a Colts head coach candidate that believes he would have gotten the job had he abided to some demands hmm. by the Colts. Hmm. We will speak on that next here. Kevin 935,
2: 1075, The Fan. We are at the Indiana Convention Center, which is the home of the NFL Combine. Right now, uh, we are apparently the only two that have decided to partake this early in the morning. But it's going to be very busy here before too long, as it always is. Yesterday, Chris Ballard, uh, not only going on with JMV, but addressing the media. Shane Steichen as well. We'll have some of those uh, audio clips coming up for you here in just a minute. But before we do that, Kevin, let's get back to you talking about the Colts coaching search, which they... Presumably did, uh, you know, overturn every stone to get their guy in Shane Steichen. But you said that uh, there's more to that story a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, this is an interesting read yesterday from NewJersey.com. Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator. And we talked about Wink throughout the process of kind of a no-nonsense, Bruce Arians, my way or the highway type of attitude. Um, I could see or saying Chris Ballard. You know, gravitating a bit towards that type of leadership style. Uh, Wink Martindale with some pretty strong comments here. He says the Colts job could have been his if he would have abided by some of the guidelines the team wanted. Uh, A quote here from Martindale. I do know I was a leading candidate, but there were some things they wanted to do that I didn't want to do. Martindale said that to Bob Brokover of NJ.com. What do you think those would have been? The first thought I had was did the Colts demand Gus Bradley be on the next coach's staff? And you think about Wink Martindale, of course. He's a defensive coordinator. Uh, for any of you that know Wink Martindale defenses with the Giants this past season with Brian Dable, before that in Baltimore, it is a vastly different style. Um, probably level of aggression more than anything than how Gus Bradley runs the show. So that was my first thought. But then I thought to myself, Jake, if that is the issue, wouldn't you just say, ah, there are some staff decisions that I didn't agree with?
2: You know, couldn't you, like, offer maybe a little bit of an inkling on that? What about this? Could it be that Wink Martindale being a defensive-minded coach? And I think we know, I think everyone knows – that the Colts are in a situation where they need a quarterback, right? But yeah, is that it pos- was my second thought. Is it possible that he said, "You know what? I, I don't think this is a quarterback, a franchise quarterback draft, and there are some defensive players I can build around. I want to, I want to epicenter on our defense."
1: Yeah, and I, I would, I guess, I'd yes to your point. That was my other thought. Um, I would argue, like, how does he know that there's no franchise quarterback in this draft in late January? I can't, right? You know, I, I don't right. think Wink Martindale's been studying the quarterbacks to that degree. Uh, secondly, I would the Colts do, do need to take a quarterback
2: oh, yeah. so that exactly everyone knows that right that I would
1: actually um agree with Martindale added that um he goes I'm glad that I did the interview I think there is some negativity out there with Jim Ursay that snowballs a little bit and it's not like the perception the best way I can describe it is he's a very fascinating guy we talked for four hours and he did a lot of the talking <laughs> yeah I <was> say. <laughs> hey, how Jim, good is that Jim how's it going <laughs> Okay. Hour and seven minutes later. All right. On to yeah, question no two. Doubt, man, uh, it was a four-hour Zoom for Wink Martindale. That was the original interview. The second interview was twelve hours in person. He said with Ursay on the final four hours of that one. Uh, again, Wink Martindale, by all accounts, this is a Bruce Arians type. He's a unique cat. This is his way or the highway. So I could. To- if you would have told me yesterday, Jake, a Colts candidate is going to come out and say that you know he. Viewed himself as a leading candidate but didn't like some of the demands the organization was having on him and was going to be very candid
2: about it, I would have said Wink. The other thing, too, how old is Wink Martindale? Uh, Got to be close to 60. Okay. How old is um, – let's look at some of the other guys that that didn't get – how old's Callahan? Yeah, un- under 40. Pretty much everybody
1: was under 40 besides Wink and Rich. Okay. So that means that – Rich Passaccia, that means.
2: You get to an age where you're like, look, man, I, I'm going to be more candid about things because what do I care, right? And he's so, never been a head
1: coach, so clearly right, right, you know, right. this
2: is not like, he, at the drop of a hat, he's not just looking for any sort
1: of head coaching
2: gig, but I did
1: want to mention that yesterday. Uh,
2: yesterday also, as we talked about, Chris Ballard uh, standing at the podium addressing the media, also went on with JMV, so starting to get into where the Colts may be headed and certainly just what they might be thinking about in terms of... The draft, their process, this entire process of the Combine. You know, some guys I think probably absolutely love this time. Others probably are like, man, there's there's a lot of stress that goes into it. But if you're in that job, theoretically, this is absolutely your holiday season. There's been a lot of talk. We were here yesterday. The Chicago radio stations were here. The general manager of the Bears was here. All the conversation in this draft prior to, of course, the news with Jalen Carter having to serve an arrest warrant in Athens, Georgia he is thought by many to be certainly the top non-quarterback in this draft. But before that, and excluding that, I guess you would say, a lot of the talk is about whether or not the Bears are looking to shop that number one overall pick and whether or not the Colts would be a player on that. Here is Chris Ballard on talking about kind of weighing out things between moving up to number one, staying at number four. Chris Ballard, what say you?
8: well one and i know this is coming up because i know all the speculation out there one to move up you there's got to be a guy worthy of it okay i know everybody in the in america is going to say like this is what's great right now everybody has just automatically stamped that you've got to move up to one to get it right i i don't know if i agree with that i don't and but that's going to be the narrative and that's okay y'all got to write something you got to keep the news flowing so but I don't necessarily know if that's the—I don't know if that's the, the right course of business. If when we meet as a staff and we say, "Okay, this is what we need to do," this is the guy for the next ten to fifteen years, and we think he's the right guy, sure, we'll do it. But who's to say we won't get one at four? A
1: couple things off that, Jake. Could you get the right guy at four? Without question. You know, obviously, I mean, look where Mahomes was drafted. Look where Allen was drafted. Look where Watson was drafted. My issue with that is you have no control over one, two, and three. So if you think your guy or you think you need to sit there at four and you can still get the guy, you are banking on – and I, and I caution to even name the teams because while Chicago, Houston, and Arizona currently have one, two, and three, as I mentioned earlier, Jake, look at the five teams right behind Indianapolis. Mark, c- could you pull up the draft order? I probably should have done that before the show, but could you pull up the draft order of the five teams right behind Indy? You could have someone screaming up Trade up to one, trade up to three, and now all of a sudden, the plan that you thought going into the draft of who you thought was going to be selecting one, two, and three, that looks a whole lot different.
3: All right, at number five is the Seattle Seahawks. Number six, Detroit Lions. Number seven, Las Vegas Raiders. Number eight, Atlanta Falcons. Number nine, Carolina Panthers. And then number 10, Philadelphia Eagles.
1: I mean, right there, Mark, read them again, five through nine.
3: Seahawks, Lions, Raiders, Falcons, Panthers. Jake, any of them. You can make yep. a case for all those teams. That you need can make a right. case. You Correct. know,
1: I, obviously not all of them are going to. I mean, Jared Goff and the, and the Lions, you know, who knows? Maybe they would like to hang on to that for a couple more years. But those teams are in a position in the top 10 to make a move. And, and that would be my pushback on Ballard's comments. The other thing that I would mention is, Jake, it is March 2nd. A shout out to Adam Schneider, a great friend of mine growing up his birthday today. So happy 34th oh, birthday. Well, Do you have that on the bingo card, Mark? I do. Adam Schneider, (laughs) B68. I don't think there's a lot of chips on my bingo card yet, so we need a a few more of those drops Random, Random Charlie Weiss sighting. I had that one, too, so I'm off to a good start. (laughs) Yes, and as Jake mentioned, a waddle, a shuffle from from Chuck today. Um, We are still, I think, maybe at the 50% mark of this evaluation process. I mean, you have probably not met with these guys one-on-one, and if you have, it just happened like last night or earlier this week. You're going to go visit them at Pro Days. You're going to probably bring them in for top 30 visits to your complex. You're probably going to do private workouts. I assume Jim Merce would like to sit down with some of these draft prospect, these quarterback prospects as well. And, you know, the Colts, when they took Quentin Nelson, 6 overall, so they took a guard at six. That, you know, Ballard admits that was a big deal. Ballard did not totally fall in love and say, okay, this is the dude that I want until his pro day at Notre Dame. So I still think we are in the evaluation process to where Ballard's answer yesterday doesn't have all the gathering info.
2: Kevin, if we're going to go under the the guise of where we have exception to what Ballard said or or the things that he said, and again, I, I want to make clear on this, Our jobs are not near as important as being the general manager of a football team. I get that. But one thing that we have in common with Chris Ballard is most people that listen to this show probably think, and understandably so, respectfully so, that they could do our job, right? I mean, not a day goes by where someone doesn't say to me, like, man, that'd be a great job. Like, I could talk about sports all day. I get it. There is more that goes into it, but I I certainly understand that. And more often than not, when people reach out to us on social media, at least me, whatever, it's to. to to critique something we did incorrectly. So it would be 1,000% for me, hypocritical, to, you know, in other words, I understand it. Like if if Ballard wants to sit, like get, it must be exhausting for him because it's times 1,000 what we do, right? So if my job is to critique Chris Ballard, it is only fair if he so chooses at times to critique mine. That is very fair. I I 1,000% understand it. When he... Says, And I think that Ballard, part of why Ballard has never been fully embraced in this market by the fans, I mean, is not only because of the fact that the Colts kind of feel like they're in quicksand, but at the same time, he's always had kind of this aura of smartest guy in the room. And I thought he did a really good job of backing away from that at the end of the year when he held his press conference. But then yesterday saying the little things like I get it. You guys need something to talk about. You got to write stuff. Let's go back to what he said about the offensive line yesterday. I want to play this clip when Ballard talked about the O-line and just building the O-line. You talked about Quentin Nelson and there's a a point that I'm going to make based on all that. Here's Chris Ballard yesterday talking about the struggles of the offensive line last season.
8: We had a young left tackle. Okay, We had a we had a we had a new starting right guard um and the as a group it was valuable experience for those young guys you know we need to we need our our best players to play to their potential um and we need those guys to continue to improve we'll we'll continue to look and add um but that is an area where like i think y'all have been around me long enough like it guts me when, when you can't block people it's hard to win it is hard to win. And that's an area that we will make sure we have enough competition um, and enough depth you know, here moving forward where we'll be good up front.
2: Now, here's the thing. Guess who were the ones that were saying that all last year of concern of having a left tackle that was a rookie and having new positions in other areas and were told, well, you guys just need something to write about. In the end the something that was written about was actually correct. So I, I think that when – and I'll give Ballard credit. I think that there's a level of humility of understanding that you have to now have flexibility, Kevin, in the way that you approach things and that it is not always one way or no way. And I think that he is starting to see that. And I think Colts fans should be – that. That's a, there's a level of optimism to that, especially when you are now in a situation where – I don't care what anybody says. This isn't a retool. When you're starting with a franchise quarterback and you are starting from the ground, that is the that is the ground up. This is a rebuild of the Indianapolis Colts.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I still think there are some pieces on both sides of the there ball. Are. That there are. There absolutely like. are.
2: But the most important,
1: the engine, you're, sure. you're putting a new engine in it, right? Sure. Um, 13 days. That's when we're going to find out if Ballard's words will lead to action. Free agency begins a week from Wednesday. Um, If I look at the offensive line specifically, I think you need to find a starter in the interior, whether you look at that as a new right guard, whether you look at that maybe as a new center, depending on your opinion of Ryan Kelly making the money that he's making at his age. And then I think you need to find that swing sort of tackle. I'm good with Bernard Ryman getting another look day one here in year two. I think he needs to get his strength up a little bit. I think that was a question of him exiting um, Central Michigan, which was understandable. He was a tight end originally there. Um, but I think you look at the swing tackle, you know, the Joe Wrights, the Joe Hegg molds, and then, again, finding a starting level uh, interior guy, those would be the moves I'd be looking to make offensive line related.
2: Uh, we'll continue the conversation and play a little bit more, not only of Ballard, but Shane Steichen, what he has had to say as well at the very, very important quarterback position as we are at the NFL Combine Indiana Convention Center on a Thursday. It's Kevin Inquiry here, 93.5 107.5 The Fan.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesempta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram Injection,
2: Indiana Convention Center is where we are. The NFL Combine is why we're here. And yesterday, a busy day. Uh, To kind of recap for everybody, the big story here at the Combine yesterday was that of Jalen Carter, who many believe is, you know, potentially in the non-quarterback division, certainly the number one pick probably in the draft. And depending on what happens and who ends up at number one, if it's not a quarterback, he was one uh, dynamic talent out of Georgia that was thought to be there. I just looked up of the the football hall of fame all decades team of the 2000s first and second team defensively there are five players that were drafted inside of the top 10 of all of those that were listed in all decade teams five were drafted inside of the top 10 only one uh which would be brian urlacher played in a super bowl for the team that drafted him it just seems like kevin you know you can get obviously great players all, all across the draft but you, taking a guy in the top five or ten defensively doesn't always necessarily anchor like where your team is headed. But certainly, Jalen Carter yesterday, that was the big story because, Kevin, when he was supposed to talk to the media yesterday, uh, he was in the headlines but not for anything that was said at the post. No,
1: he was actually on his way back to Athens, Georgia, was booked last night, released on bail. Um, his involvement is wanted, or I guess his involvement has led to this, in a reckless driving incident that sadly killed one of his teammates and another Georgia staff member. This was last month, right after their national championship win. Um, And and the trickle-down effect and the domino effect here involving the Colts is you've got Chicago at one, you've got Arizona at three, two teams that seemingly would want defensive help. They're good at the quarterback position. So if those two teams decide to stay at one or three, The thought is Jalen Carter would be a pick, either for Chicago at one or Arizona at three. Does this lessen the appeal of Jalen Carter? Um, There were, I think, some questions about him off the field before this. I don't want to act like glaring, glaring questions, but there were some concerns. And you would think this would play into that. So, you know, if I'm the Bears, I'm sitting there thinking, is the player worth – the number one overall pick, or is the bevy of picks I'm being offered worth trading back? And in Chicago's case, if I were running the show there, I'd probably trade back twice. You trade back to Houston at two, get a bit of what they've got, which they've got a ton of draft picks, and then I might trade back again with Indianapolis at four if the Colts do feel like they need to get up there to get that second quarterback. So I thought yesterday's news uh, was very important and impactful to the Colts because it could take away one of the top non-quarterbacks in this draft and maybe slide him down into round one,
2: deeper into round one. When it comes to drafting quarterbacks, let's go back to what Chris Ballard had to say yesterday in terms of, and this is what I'm talking about, Kevin, when I say, and I agree with you, I mean, the Colts have some good pieces, right? We know Quentin Nelson's a very good player. I thought you made an excellent point yesterday with JMV about Shaq Leonard and the fact that how aggressive the Colts are with Bobby Okereke in terms of re-signing him as a free agent may shed some light on what they think about Shaq Leonard's health although it's hard to know his health status until he's out there running around right And, and, and in contact but you know Jonathan Taylor obviously is an elite player but when it comes down to it in the National Football League the most important position is quarterback and Chris Ballard talked about the development time period for quarterbacks and what is necessary when you are drafting a young player and then putting, of course, the team around him. Here's Chris Ballard on the quarterback position.
8: Well, I think they all need development. This is, they're in there in a league that's a much different. And I know the one you're targeting, but look, they all need... They're, they're not all going to step into this league and just kill it. Like, they all, like the defenses are different. The disguise, the post-snap reads that they have to do, everything is faster. And so they all need development. Um, And so I don't want to sit here and act like, you know, there's one over the other, that they all need it. I mean, I think every one of these guys need development.
2: And that's the challenge, Kevin, right there. That that means... And if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm preaching that until the cows come home because the longer development that you can convince your owner and your fan base that your quarterback needs, the more time you're buying yourself.
1: Well, I mean, everyone needs it. Trevor Lawrence needed it. Right. You know, I mean, it's that's just welcome to this day and age and just that position and how different it can be from college to the NFL. I thought one of the things that Shane Steichen really harped on, and again, we'll have Shane Steichen join us tomorrow at 9 o'clock here at the Combine, really focused on – When it's third and eight, can you deliver a strike with someone barreling down on you? You know, that accuracy element. While Steichen mentioned you can teach some of that, there still is just that innate backyard ability of, can you deliver it when all that chaos is happening around you? And when I hear that, what I'm looking for, Jake, is a combination of three things you're looking for. Poise. You're looking for accuracy, and you're looking for athleticism. And I'm probably, it's probably, well, I think think it's fair to say this, Jake. Let's take poison athleticism. Typically, if you have one, you don't have the other. And I know that's a bit unfair to say. But typically, if you've got well, one... if if you lack the latter, you better
2: have the former. Exactly. Yeah. So,
1: you know, th- that is why you're probably at that level because you have one right. of the two. Having both of them, you're Patrick Mahomes or, or you're something to that effect. But that, I think, is what I would be looking for. And, and when I say poise, I think the accuracy element kind of falls into that bucket because, to me, if you're poised, that means your eyes are always down the field, you know where the football should be going, you can deliver it. Uh, with anticipation, you can throw guys open all of those phrases and when I hear poise, the combination of poise and athleticism to me of these aspects that 's where I go to Bryce Young. I understand the height concerns, obviously, and and you know, durability might be a huge question, but I also know the coach the Colts just hired and Shane Steichen. And what I love, and we're going to hear it tomorrow from Shane Steichen, and we heard it again yesterday. What I love from hearing, if I were a Colts fan, what I love hearing from Shane Steichen on a routine basis is everything is such a modern approach to how the offensive game Needs to be played in today's day and age. Of we don't force a system upon our quarterback, we take that quarterback and we cater the system around that. And if Bryce Young's his quarterback, there might be a whole lot of let's move the pocket, let's get this guy outside of the pocket, let's make sure that his height is not necessarily a detriment to where we're dropping back 40 times a game and he's under center and he might not be able to see all of the lanes. And that's to where I think you offer the poise trait, which is really hard to teach, and then you give him an offensive play caller that is proven to cater a system around that quarterback, to me, that is the most dynamic pairing that you see in this draft. And
2: again, you just touched on it, Kevin. Shane Steichen yesterday was asked about, and we're going to hear from him about when you have a quarterback, you know, there are a couple of ways to do it. And, and I, we can see here in Indianapolis – If you look at franchise quarterbacks that you draft with the number one overall pick, and you look at the way that the team is built, we have tangible evidence of two different, and and I'm not saying that they're the same player, but Peyton Manning, when he was drafted here, Peyton Manning was going to be great. You know, Peyton Manning's Peyton Manning. I I get that. But he also had the benefit here of the same O coordinator all the way through, Tom Moore, right? He, they, they sit down and they come up with code words and, you know, Louisville Soul Train and, and Omaha and all these things. And they, he's working the same system every single year and he has continuity. He's the number one overall pick in the draft and they organically grow everything around him with stability and consistency from the get-go. They perhaps learned off the fact that eight years prior to that, at the beginning of that decade, they they draft Jeff George number one overall, and Jeff George has what three head coaches in the first five years and four different coordinators and he's learning all kinds of different systems and we're going to run you know the run and shoot we're going to run west coast you know whatever i'm just throwing out offenses but i mean it it was constant turnover and, and and then never got footing and then lo and behold they're right back into square one eight years later so that always begs the question for me With any player, and you hear me ask coaches about this all the time, especially in basketball, is it easier to recruit to your system or system to your recruits? Shane Steichen talked a little bit about that in terms of the approach when it comes to the quarterback position.
1: Yeah,
9: that makes sense. I think, again, whoever that guy is back there throwing it, you got to adjust to him. you got to build the offense around the quarterback first and foremost. You can't be stuck in your ways of, hey, this is the system we run or whatever it is. Like, you got to be able to adapt to that guy. And not only that guy, it's all the players around him, the receivers, the tight ends, put those guys in position to make plays. What does this receiver run well? What does this tight end do well? What does these backs do well, the offensive line? And I think it's the same thing on defense. Like, you got to put these guys into position to maximize their talents uh, so they can shine on Sunday.
2: And again, that goes the reason why I the reason I say that or play that clip Kevin is because if if you feel it's necessary to 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 build or structure around what the quarterback wants and needs, that further cements the point that this is not retool but possibly rebuild.
1: Don't be stuck in your ways. I I just it might seem like That should be a common phrase, but you just have coaches that are stuck in their ways and are unwilling to adapt enough to – you watch college football on Saturday. It looks a lot different than the NFL on Sunday. But you have NFL organizations, and we talked to one of them yesterday, Nick Sirianni, that have adapted really, really well to catering around their young quarterback – the fact that Shane Steichen says that and the fact that he has history of doing it, that should be music to the ears of Colts fans. So um, it's words. That's all we can go off of in February and March. But I, I think you have to like a lot of what Shane Steichen is saying from an offensive point of view. And he reiterated it again yesterday. It is going to be you are throwing to score. And so I think you're going to see a lot of that from the Colts here in 2022 or 2023. So I did want to mention, Jake, did you happen to see, um, and I guess we'll pull M- Mark in as well, either you guys see the, uh, that NFL PA player vote or, I guess, player uh, poll from yesterday? Yes. On team facilities. Did you you see that? Did not see that. So the NFL Players Association conducted a poll of over 1,300 players around the league, and basically you are evaluating your workplace environment. So, Radio One would send us a poll and say, "Hey, how are you know? What's the bathroom situation? What's the break room situation like, et cetera, et cetera?" So, the NFLPA sent out um, a survey to players based off treatment of families, food and nutrition, weight room, strength coaches, training room, training staff, locker room, and team travel. So, they sent out a survey to all 32 teams, players on those teams. The Colts. Can I guess which was the lowest?
2: Sure. Cincinnati.
1: Oh, I, I just have the Colts okay. on this one. Um, the Colts got an A-plus in training staff. So their training staff, kudos to them. They should all ask for a raise today. Uh, they were ranked number one in the NFL based off players' reaction. Uh, A-minus in strength coaches. B-plus in treatment of families. B in the training room. So a lot of strong grades right. where they did not do very well. Food, service, and nutrition, they got a D from their players. And in team travel, they got an F.
2: Really? Now, what what do you think is the complaint about team travel? Are they staying in, like, Howard Johnson's? So I think the team travel was more plane-related.
1: Um, they mentioned in the story the, that the, uh,
2: they always had to wait on the plane while Ursa did a video <laughs>
1: well, yeah, I think it's a little bit different travel situation than where Ursay is uh, leaving from versus the team uh, they are one of seven teams that do not offer first class seats to players really I I felt with Grigson I, I thought at the Grigson era
2: if you had played in the league for at least ten years you could sit first class i would think that just from a size standpoint they I, I i pardon my naivete here kevin i just assumed i mean i flew on the rams plane once when i was working in st louis due to a, an unusual situation there were only a handful of us that were covering the rams had a game on christmas eve and were kind enough to say look if you guys want to fly back so that you don't have to stay overnight and then fly on christmas day and there were only a handful of us that were covering the game that we were so we we got to fly on the plane, and that was a. The Rams had the plane, and the seats for the players themselves were like first class seats for for all of them. They just you know what I mean. It wasn't a chartered flight where you only had X number of first class seats. They had put in first first class seats. You know, fifty two of them or whatever. And I just assume that's the way it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to travel with the team for, you know, about a handful of seasons. And I remember the Grigson era, you would have the Frank Gores, the Andre Johnsons, the Veneterys of the world, the Mathesis of the world. They would sit first class. And then obviously, it's not like. Oh, who gets the middle seat in the back? I mean, it's pretty much one player to a row once you get in the back part right. of the plane. But it was
2: regular coach seating? I'm pretty sure it was. That, that surprises me, actually. So that I could see where that... Now, if they were to give that survey for us, uh, parking gets an A+. Oh, without question.
1: It's been great this week. Just walk over from, uh, from <laughs> I the mean, uh, parking having Having a combine. 24-7,
2: 365 parking spot in the basement of Monument Circle is the greatest thing ever. Would you, the other thing mentioned in...
3: Go ahead, Mark. I was gonna ask Jake if he wanted to venture get get another guess of who got the worst grades overall. It wasn't the Bengals,
2: is it? That now that the Bengals didn't even have an indoor practice facility, right? I mean, Oh, it's got to be Washington. They're, they're no yeah. We'll go with Washington.
3: Treatment of families F. <laughs> that was... Treatment of families F. Food service slash nutrition D plus. Weight room C plus. Strength coach A plus. Training room F minus, training staff D, locker room F minus, team nice. travel F minus.
2: I thought you couldn't get an oh. F minus.
3: Well, if anyone could do it, it's Dan Snyder's team.
2: Yeah. How is team travel an F minus for an organization that's basically co sponsored by FedEx? Don't they just have a ton of planes and they guarantee to get you anywhere overnight? How does that happen? It says uh,
3: only 22% of players feel like they have enough space on team flights. The commanders are one of six teams in the NFL that make a segment of their players have roommates before games and one of seven teams in the NFL that does not <laughs> offer their players first-class seats. They also hey, complain listen, about I, lack of I, warm water and showers that, right? and rat issues.
2: Rat issues. <laughs> what, what is this? Rat issues. Yeah, the, the rat is the owner. I, when a couple of years ago, I, I worked a freelance job for a broadcast of a sports car race out at Laguna Seca. So I get this phone call and they're like, Hey, you know, we're doing, uh, it's, it's an endurance race at Laguna Seca. Can you do it for the television side? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course. Great. Awesome. So I fly out, I go to the hotel, I'm checking in and they say "Now, do you need a key to your room? Well, yeah, that, typically that is of assistance. And she says, well, I just wonder because we already gave one to your roommate. Excuse me? Your roommate. Roommate. <laughs> I know no one of this racing series. I know no one on this TV broadcast. And they tell me that like some uh, another journalist that was from, I, I think, England or Ireland was already in the room. And so, I'm Little like, Little well, did he know what he was walking into. Yeah, there. well, him. <laughs> that poor I walked guy. In, I walked in. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm walked, more thinking about him. I walked in the room, and this dude is laying on the bed with no shirt on, watching like some like cricket on television, and then like... Spoke oh, good day, I, mate. Yeah, and I, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to swallow the, the nope. extra money here. And I ended He's, up getting myself a room in Gilroy, California, which is the garlic capital of the world, and literally sat in a... Howard Johnson's in Gilroy, which smelled like garlic and bad feet for two days, Now, it, just so I could have my own room.
1: If I'm not mistaken, Mark, I think the Colts qualified as both of those commanders' comments, the one of seven teams that do not offer first-class seats to their players, and also the one of six teams that force many players to have roommates on the road, which I, I've always— Now, they
2: had rat droppings in the stadium for well, a while, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I don't know about the rat part of it. But I do remember this story back in then-Darius Leonard's rookie season. And I thought it was just a rookie thing at the time. Darius Leonard and Zaire Franklin were roommates on the road. And their first road game is, ironically enough, in Washington. And Leonard... I, I, I guess it was Franklin. Franklin would not stop snoring. So Darius Leonard takes the blankets and pillows off the bed and goes into the bathroom and sleeps in there, shuts the door, sleeps in the bathroom. Imagine sleeping... In a hotel bathroom the night before your first NFL road game, that was Darius Leonard. And what does he do? He goes out and has 19 tackles and sets a franchise <laughs> record the next
2: day. So Zaire Franklin became, you know, it's only fitting that Zaire Franklin would be the one that prohibits you from getting any Z's. But Zaire Franklin would actually then have been roomed. Shouldn't they just have put him with Shaquille Leonard for the yeah. rest of the year? Right. Yeah, permanently on that. Uh, the Colts players did say they feel very well
1: supported by Jim Mercey's willingness to spend money to upgrade the facilities, which I just think they did, 97% on that front. So they got overwhelmingly strong grades outside of food service, nutrition, team travel. The the food service and nutrition one, it says in here, players having to pack their lunches rather than eat at the facility. Can you imagine? All right, you know, do we got enough bologna in there?
2: I'd take some of those Lunchables, man.
1: All right, got some cheese and crackers here for the day. And I know that is something that Chris Bauer has wanted to highly invest in. That was one of his kind of big projects early on. And based off this survey, doesn't look hey, like it's resonating. The Cardinals, like, got, yes. an,
3: the Cardinals got an F- minus for food, and it says, for theirs, it says if players would like dinner, it'll be boxed up for them. But players reported that the team will charge them via payroll deduction. This is the you only know, club to do this. They get charged for food.
2: Do you know the Bengals? The, Bing, uh, the Bengals... When on draft night, when you get your you know, you get drafted and they give you the hat and you walk across the stage, you put the hat on and you hug Roger Goodell, or you know, the Bengals charge the draft pick. Their first paycheck, if they if they look at their paycheck, it has a deduction on there for like $27 and such and such cents for a hat. What (laughs) I kid you not, man. I kid you not. Do you want to guess which team, Kevin? and mark if you're not looking at it mark or if you're looking at it mark confess kevin what team got an a in treatment? a's all the way across the board what team got straight a's in all of this and ranks first in terms of the content level for their players within the organization in all aspects they gave it straight a's the dallas cowboys mark you got a guess or do you know uh no i don't know uh i will say 49ers I will tell you this hint. This organization's primary color happens to be the f- the favorite color of its most famous native that is synonymous with the city in which they play. There is one person that is from a city in the NFL, an entertainer, who is known for a color. Oh, the, the Minnesota Vikings? The Minnesota Vikings is correct. Little Prince action there? Yep. Paisley Park, baby. Check first, it out.
1: I felt like I was Mike Bray hungover trying to follow that one there.
2: <laughs> well, Mark followed. Mark, well, what you time
1: follow do you along? think Mike Bray left the linebacker last night? He said he was closing it down. Right? He said no curfew,
2: closing it down. Yeah, he said he was closing it down. Was Guy there more, were there more people at the
3: linebacker than at the game yesterday, Kev?
1: <laughs> Mark, I, I hate to say it, but I think there were.
2: They, oh, I saw I, I saw Pete
3: Sampson tweet that they were at capacity. At one point at the linebacker so I
1: think Bray originally thought like when he said that it was just going to be kind of like family and friends I don't think he realized that you know on a Wednesday night in South Bend I mean we're talking gonna, about uh, it on sports up.
2: radio in Indianapolis so you can imagine in South Bend right right I, why did I not go? if you were going to have like if we knew this was going to be our last show and, and, and believe you me I've been in that situation before I was going to say do you know something uh, <laughs> if if you knew and we had to say like this is where we're going tonight for our hurrah what, what would you pick ooh that's a good one um let's
1: end it at Rock Lobster okay Start at Slipper
2: Noodle and end at Rock Lobster. The Noodle, man. You can't go wrong with the Noodle. So Marty, many rooms, Marty in the is the absolute best. You, know you got different segments. You're, you're right. If the Alex playing, which they're going to on March 11th, in the noodle. I'll
1: be there. Yeah, but I think hearing the siren at Rock Lobster would be a good way to Old cap Old Pros
2: it. table, sit around the fire. Sure. They got Golden Tea still there? I think they do. I played Golden Tea the Bulldog a couple weeks ago. Hard to go wrong with the red key, right? No. Well, bring your cash. <laughs> that's correct when
1: we do the show on monday am i going to be a little richer is max going to be a little bit more on his way to
2: college well that's a perfect segue into the morning check down because the pacers are just a couple of wins away from number 30 so let's uh, get you caught up on what happened last night the morning
0: checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com
2: on 93.5 and one zero seven five. The fan. We will talk about uh, the sad news involving the Pacer organization coming up here on the other side in just a minute and reflect on what we led off the show with. But the Pacers do have basketball still to be played in Texas. Kevin, so far so good, two and zero on the road trip. Yes, wins over the Dallas Mavericks,
1: of course, the other night and in, in Orlando to start things over the weekend. It is. Is at San Antonio tonight. They are favored by four. That is not something we've said about Indiana on the road this year. Tyrese Halliburton is questionable a like calf strain. Um, so that'll be something to monitor. Again it is an eight thirty tip tonight and you know when you see San Antonio There are a couple of Indiana connections. Uh, Let's start with the Notre Dame product. Blake Wesley is playing a little bit off the bench. The the first one everyone thinks. For the Spurs, of course. Uh, The other one will be Romeo Langford And Jake, I think he's been out for like the past month with a thigh injury.
2: He has, but the good news is he still has a chance to salvage his career and make all of those fat dudes that wore candy-striped pants and waited in 20-degree weather outside Jasper High School for an autograph when he was 16 (laughs) worthwhile. Right?
1: Were they all fat? I think that's a that might be a hair unfair there.
2: <laughs> Have you seen the Southern Indiana? Uh, Notre Dame eighty-eight eighty-one last night over Pittsburgh. God, my sister in uh, law's from Jasper. Irish Jeez. now eleven and nineteen overall, three and sixteen in the ACC. But Pitt ranked twenty-fifth in the country coming into that one. Mike Bray getting the win as we talked about Southern Indiana and SIU Edwardsville. It was SIU Edwardsville last night, 68-54 over Southern Indiana. That in the Ohio Valley Men's. I'm starting to really question
3: Kevin's Notre Dame fandom that he didn't go to South Bend last night to celebrate with Mike Bray. It is a bit much, Yeah, right? hey,
2: Maddie, I'm going to go up there.
1: You got the kids tonight? Yeah, I'm going to go up there and, you know, go to the linebacker, be hungover, <laughs> drive down 31 at 5 a.m. in the morning to make sure I'm at the convention center.
2: Uh, college All basketball, time. by the way, today. Evansville and Indiana State. That the Moval Arch Madness in St. Louis. That game getting underway at 3.30 this afternoon. Then three and a half hours after that, it's Valpo and Murray State. That that game. T- Tipping at seven o'clock, and then Purdue at Wisconsin. Nine o'clock tip for the fifth-ranked Boilers, who are twenty-four and 5, 13 and five overall. Down year for Wisconsin; they are sixteen and twelve. Big one, actually, for the Badgers because if they want to try to get themselves stamped into the tournament and make a late push here, what better way to do it than knocking off the fifth-ranked oh, team in the land? A world of help they to do to get anywhere near that. Uh, Jeff
1: Capel gave Mike Bray a twenty-three-year-old bottle of Blantons.
5: <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: That's Jeff nice Capel was was none too happy with that loss. That was a big loss for Pittsburgh. Uh, Did last Jeff Capel
2: won it back afterwards? Night.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Did Mike Bray coach Jeff Capel? Would that
2: have made sense at Duke? But I don't know if that timeline adds up. That's possible. Yeah, I don't know if I it would does. think I would think Bray would have been gone by then.
1: Um, as Jake said, it's Purdue and Wisconsin tonight, 9 o'clock. Chucky Hepburn, Wisconsin's lead guard, got banged up in their game with Michigan over the weekend. So that is something to keep an eye on. Purdue is a four-point favorite in that one. All right, we'll continue some of the Colts conversation coming up. Mark, do you say? Well, we got Field Yates and Dan Orlovsky coming up around nine o'clock.
3: Yes, yeah, so it sounds like Field Yates at nine o'clock. Dan Orlovsky maybe around nine fifteen, nine thirty, and then Zach Kiefer as well, possibly. So we got a loaded nine o'clock hour.
1: Shit, boy, that pop quiz. We might have to push that to Friday. We have a loaded 9 o'clock hour coming up live here at the Combine. Workout day begins over the next four days. Over 300, I think 319 total draft prospects will be working out. The defensive linemen and linebackers today we will chat more about that coming up next
4: here. Kevin Acquary live. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesempta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection.
2: At the convention center, I will admit to the fact that I couldn't see a scenario ever where they would be playing Dave Matthews in heaven, but guarantee they are today because David Benner passing away yesterday was a diehard, diehard Dave Matthews fan and supporter, and I think saw them over 60 times. Bill Benner, his brother, it would be Blue Oyster Colt. For David Benner, it is uh, the Dave Matthews Band. Good morning to you, by the way, here on a Thursday. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen we're at the Indiana Convention Center for the NFL Draft Combine. Uh, Nick Cottingham and Devin Duncan are here as our on-site engineers. Mark Dykton back in studio. It was yesterday morning, uh, just before we went on the air, actually, when uh received word from Bill Benner that, David Benner passed away um, a little over 24 hours ago, and I certainly understand and you know can appreciate the fact that many of you probably were familiar with the name of David Benner, but probably are saying, why have I heard so much about the passing of David Benner? And I don't mean that just because I would expect that a lot of people, because of his job as a media relations director, would not have necessarily... Uh, you know, known who who Benner exactly was. So, um, if I could, just a minute or two here to to shed light on exactly that. Uh, David Benner is from the south side of Indianapolis. David and Bill both went to Center Grove High School. And in that capacity were, in David's case were, and in Bill's case still are, Hoosier through and through. Passionate about Indiana, passionate about the teams in Indiana, and... A great love for those teams. David Benner becoming the beat writer for the Indiana Pacers, for the Indianapolis Star, and in that capacity becoming a focal point in a group of tremendous media members, contributors to this market, and, and just guys in general. Tom Reetman, Donna Eggert for that matter, so gals as well. Uh, Mark Ambrogi, Don Bates, both of the Benners, Robin Miller, clearly, Mark Monteith, Kurt Cavan, there's a long list of great individuals that have worked at the Star and David Benner was one of those that uh, was as beloved as any of them by the group itself. And then David left in 1994, left the newspaper business to become the media relations director for the Pacers. And that job is not always an easy one because you are essentially working as the liaison between the media and the athletes. You're representing the athletes and protecting the brand of the franchise while also trying to appease and accommodate the local media. And the best way that I can express who David was as a guy, we all in life have to use, I guess, our own personal experiences to to gauge the way things are. And in David Benner's case, he began that that role in that position when I was essentially uh, an intern, for lack of a better phrase, at Channel 6 for Ed Sorensen. I was the lowest of the low in terms of the local media. And for me, it was a thrill just to get access to go to a shoot around or a game. And the thing about David that I will always appreciate and that I, I would hope that is true for all of us But it was a fine example set by him. And I said it earlier. Throughout the course of my career, as my career progressed, and I started out in a much lesser role than that in which I have today, which is not to say that I have any role in in the local market, but it certainly is a greater role than what I had 25 years ago. And David Benner always treated me as if the role that I had was the greater role and never treated me as a lesser. And I saw that when you went into the media room at the Pacers' practices, shoot-arounds, games, he did not prioritize those that were of a deemed or perceived higher rank within the media. He treated everybody equally and everybody fair, which is not to say that he treated anyone poorly. He treated the poor as the rich and he treated everyone equally in terms of his accommodation and his, his willingness to help us, which was always greatly appreciated. He also developed very close friendships um, with Mike Wells, for example, among others that were on the Pacers beat. And I was fortunate to be able to call him a friend and to also at times, as I had done, call him for advice to call him to ask about how to navigate through certain situations or whether or not I had erred and he was always open to, to say that yes I had for example but in a very respectful fashion um, the other thing about David is when when people would as happens within our industry temporarily fall out of favor whether they lost a job whether they were between jobs but they still wanted to, to feel part of it he essentially treated you as if you were still carrying that badge and would do everything he could to help folks to land the next job, or if it meant coming down to a game just to be around everybody, uh, he was always accommodating with that. I had mentioned earlier that David was a huge NASCAR fan. He was the guy that I brought up with me into the Turn 3 perch when I was doing the Brickyard 400 several years ago. We had great fun doing that, and Once David was diagnosed with cancer, and it came back and recurred on a number of occasions. I never saw him angry. It would be disingenuous to say that I was around him in the most intimate of moments throughout that journey. But I never saw him as woe as me. He was very private about it, but very steadfast. And I asked him last year if he wanted to come back and spot again for the Brickyard. And he said... I would love to do that, but can I let you know how I'm feeling?" Of course, absolutely. He went to a Dave Matthews concert, I believe the night before the Brickyard Weekend, and then to get up into the Turn 1 broadcast perch, one has to really contour their body, move around, Um, and it took David a while to, to, to dip down underneath the bars and down the ladder that we have to go to. It is not an easy place to get into, and it took David a while. And it was the first time that I had seen how life had become laborious for him, perhaps. But he did not say a single negative word about that plight. And when we got down into the perch, he looked at me, and I'll never forget, he said, I'm sorry. And and I remember thinking, like, yeah, you, you don't have anything to be sorry about. And he, he sat and just sat in that perch and looked out, and, and I, I hope for everyone that when their time comes that they can have the same inner peace and resolve of a person that I could see that knew what his body was going through but he looked completely content and at peace in that moment. Not because of the opportunity that, that he was sitting there in but because I could tell he was somebody who had simply soaked in the moments and that's all you can ask. Sure, I'm sure he would have liked to have had a long retirement of plenty of concerts but he soaked in the moments and for that I was happy for him. Um, he called me that night after day two of the three-day event for the Brickyard and said, I just don't think I can make it tomorrow. I- I'm just, my body is too tired. And I totally understood and and respected that. Um, Mark Jackson was a point guard for the Pacers. I think Mark Jackson and David Benner actually during Jackson's time as a player at times had their odds because Jackson didn't always want to do media, ironically enough, and benner made guys do what their job entitled or entailed i should say beyond simply playing on the court but mark jackson who as you mentioned kevin didn't have to do this on a national broadcast took a moment to reflect as well on the character the person the man of david benner while we have a moment i want to take time nba lost one of his giants one of the greatest pr guys in the history of sports Indiana Pacers' own David Benner. I spent seven and a half, almost eight years in Indiana. Watched him do his job as good as anybody I've been around. Uh, Passed away earlier today. Thoughts and prayers to his wife, the Pacer community. And uh, nothing but love and respect for that guy. He impacted so many for so long. Kevin, the reality is that over the course of life, all of us are going to have challenges. And inevitably, all of us are going to uh ultimately face the situations where life isn't always from a health standpoint easy and it is my hope that all of us can handle it with the same dignity grace and compassion for others throughout the journey that david benner did he will be missed in this town by those who knew him better than i but certainly by myself as well for a very long time and i can only hope that robin miller has him turning down that dave matthews band and just says, let's, let's let's turn that down and instead talk about the ABA Pacers. But he'll be missed for a long time.
1: Yeah, I think a lot about um, you know, his wife, Jane, his brother, Bill, of course, the entire Benner family. I know Mike Wells. Uh, Mike and I have had several conversations over the last few weeks about his interactions with David Benner, his visits to, to the hospital to see him. Um, they had a really, really special relationship. And David was always, what struck me um, about him was just, an incredible amount of loyalty to his profession. I mean, to be in that role for 28 years of the Pacers, there is a lot of turnover in that position. It's hard to maintain a position like that for a professional sports team for nearly three decades. And he did that. Uh, but also, and I think you saw with Mark Jackson's comments and certainly the Reggie Miller Relationship with David Bennard has been well publicized. He just had a quick wit about him that players gravitated towards. And, you know, when you're in that role, you're asking players to do a lot of things that they probably don't want to do. So you do have to have a personality that, again, can have that balance of extreme professionalism, but at the same time, you've got to be able to connect with these guys that, you know, in David's case, were, you know, 20, 30 years younger than him. And uh, he was able to to do that so for Mark Jackson's comments I know Reggie Miller had a tweet last night you know about how much that hurts and and, um, Miles Turner as well Um, you know again to Jane and to Bill and the entire Benner family I'll miss my conversations with him about Dave Matthews or NASCAR or certainly Hickory stick golf course he lived on the fourth hole there just a great little par three we always would chat about how wild that green was Um, and so again, to Mike Wells, Mike Chappell, and certainly all of those um close to the Benner family thinking about them today
2: and Mike Wells, Kevin, who I know you're you know tight with uh Mike deserves a a kudos as well because during Benner it's funny we all just called him Benner as opposed to david but and <laughs> my girlfriend Shannon was at a pacer game recently and, and Benner was there, and she said. Hey, Benner. And he turned around and said, you know, I do have a first name, which is funny because and in, I'd in never heard him over 28 years, so I probably should say David. Um, but during his the journey that David was on towards the end there, um, I do know, you know, just in knowing people connected to it as well, uh, Mike Wells defined loyalty and friendship to him and, and vice versa. But... Um, You know, Wells was was tremendous to David. And for those that were friends with David, I think we were all grateful that Mike uh, had that loyalty towards him. So condolences to Mike Wells. As well, uh, the combine is things starting to get a little bit uh, picking up, just a little bit. People starting to arrive a little bit later, arriving crowd today than yesterday, Kevin. Um, but there was a lot to discuss that took place yesterday throughout the course of the afternoon here.
1: Yeah, no more head coaches and GMs meeting the media, so I think that's why you see you're seeing a little bit of a quieter start. To this Thursday, we will get some player interviews, defensive backs, the specialists today. Again, workouts will begin at 3 o'clock for the defensive linemen. And tomorrow, I think, is where you'll see the most buzz. From a prospect standpoint at this hour, I think I, I believe it's this time tomorrow. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, those guys will be meeting the media tomorrow morning and then they will work out uh, at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Again, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, neither of them are reportedly going to throw. Uh, but Will Levis and Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud will. To get more on those quarterback prospects, we've got some big hitters coming up at the 9 o'clock hour ESPN's Field Yates, Dan Orlovsky as well. Kevin Aquari live here at the Convention Center on a Thursday morning, 93.5 107.5. The fan.
4: Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: live here at the convention center kevin Aquari. on a thursday morning a little scheduling on the fly field yates from espn going to join us here in about 10 minutes uh, mark you said dan orlovsky is going to going to be tomorrow
3: yes it sounds like he's going to go to tomorrow so we'll have him on okay. then
1: so we'll get dan orlovsky on the show tomorrow again shane steichen going to join us in the nine o'clock hour tomorrow as well defensive linemen will begin the workouts uh this afternoon so the next four days nfl network will have your coverage there uh to see guys work out we'll start with the defensive players move into the offensive group quarterbacks will work out on saturday um, you guys going over under on the 40-yard dash time of 4.275 is that the record The record is John Ross at 4.22. The over-under is 4.275 for the fastest 40. I'll go over. I will go over as well. Uh, Do we have a slow turf inside of Lucas Oil this year? Well, you just have to figure. I mean, that's pretty close to the record, right? Well, yeah, it's, I mean,
2: 4.275 versus 4.22. Yeah, so, I mean, if they're... The fastest ever was four two two. you're saying? Yes, John Ross. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I mean, if the, if the fastest ever is four two two, 2 2 then, uh, you know, one would think that the in all the years that have been doing it, I, I, that's why I'll go the over. Uh, the position
1: of the player with the fastest 40-yard dash time, who are we betting on for that?
2: Would it be a DB, a receiver, or a running back? It's one of those three. I'll, I'll go with a receiver.
1: DB is the favorite at minus 130, wide receiver plus 150, and running back plus 350. And basically, this shows you where we're at right now at the combine in 2023. You can bet on Bryce Young's weight.
2: (laughs) What about his height? Can you bet on that? It sounds like weight is more of a concern than height. By the way, talk to some people. The combine began at what, 88? Yeah, I want to say like 87, 88 in, in Arizona for a year. So. In 1985, when Bo Jackson was coming out of Auburn, that was pre-combine, so like it, he you know he basically did a pro day. Do you know what his forty time was? Bo Jackson's forty was four five. Mark, do you have the buzzer? Mm. <laughs> four point one two. God, was Mrs. Jackson on the stopwatch there? Oh, you've never heard of Bo Jackson's legendary forty? Bo Jackson was his speed was unbelievable. That's what made him so unbelievable because he was built like Adonis but ran like the wind. I mean he was incredible. I, I admittedly, Kevin, I have a Bo Jackson is my Tiger Woods. So he's your crush? Oh man. Bo Jackson was at his he's your zenith. Luke Heron, Goody? He was at his zenith during the most important time for one's sports fandom for me, right? I mean he hit the scene when I was in the in middle school and his pro career was over by the time i was in late high school essentially but he was a mythical figure that 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 shot of him running into the tunnel on monday night football in seattle and just disappearing was perfectly fitting of his career by the time you realized what you had seen it was gone and you're like what just happened and that was the career of bo jackson
1: 197 and a half pounds that is the over under
2: for Bryce Young, and you're saying he wants to go over, right? I think ideally he'd be a little bit over. I, I no, but you're saying he, he. And if you're Bryce Young, you want to show as having weight, right? Correct. So you lose
1: that weight before your pro day coming up next month or later this month, and that's when you can work out. I, you know, part of me's like, do we really care if he's 199 versus 195?
2: I, I saw him. I saw a video of him walking through here yesterday, Kevin. And, and I'm the first to admit, I don't get. Totally caught up in hand size and all that. But I will say, when the video I saw of him walking through, I'm like, I didn't realize he's that small. Yeah. He looked small. Oh, yeah, he's short. I mean, he's, he's 5'10", 5'11". He looks small. But th- what's Breeze?
3: Breeze is not even six-foot, I think.
2: Do they list him as six-foot? What's What's Russell Wilson? I mean, you know. Yeah, I I
1: tend to think, again, his poise and his ability to have Shane Sykin coach him to keep him out of you know, constant hits and to move the pocket, I think that can aid Bryce Young and you can coach to his abilities. I just think it's really hard to teach a lot of what he has just from a poise, eyes, all of those things. You know, an Russell Wilson's
3: 5'11", by the way. Yeah.
1: I, I'll tell you an interesting Isn't weight one. kind of the difference, though? I mean, how, how much is
2: Russell weighing? Yeah, he's got some muscle on yeah, him. Yeah, he's like 220. Yeah. He, right across the way is the Dolphins table. When we're talking about franchises that may pop up out of nowhere and surprise people by taking a quarterback is Miami in that situation Kevin to be kind of like I'm not saying that they mo- am <laughs> I'm not saying that they move up into the top 3 but you know what, like when Philly took Jalen Hurts, and you're like, what, like, like Hooker out of Tennessee? Yeah, is I, Miami a team that that might surprise people, and all of a sudden? I think you're a year away from that. And if I'm
1: also mistaken, don't they? They don't they have, have a first round forfeit, pick. Didn't they have to forfeit yeah, the first round? Yeah, they don't have
2: a first round Steven pick. Stephen Ross situation. Yep. I I mean, th- that's what I'm talking about, though. Could they surprise people by like? It, although, if I guess if you don't have a first rounder, you got to kind of prioritize backside, but. You know, in the third or fourth round, could people be like, wait a minute, Miami took yeah, a quarterback? Yeah, maybe
1: third or fourth. But again, I what what picks do they have? I mean, they, they traded their for Tyreek kill. They traded for Bradley Chubb.
3: Their first draft pick is not until the 52nd overall pick in the second round.
2: Yeah, why, I, I why, guess. Why are those guys here? Why, why go, is that little combine table here? Should we ask
1: them? Well, I mean, maybe to meet with their GM and their head coach. Mike yeah, McDaniel, a cool dude. That's why. Mike McDaniel had everybody dying laughing yesterday at the uh, – at the podium. Again, live here at the combine, Field Yates from ESPN. He's going to join us next here. Kevin and 9 o'clock hour, coming up.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta.
1: All right, we got a busy nine o'clock hour here live at the convention center. Kevin Bowen and Jake Quarry. Devin, our on site engineer. Nick's rocking a little camera action as we are live on YouTube as well. Mark Dykedon back in studio. And we'll head to the Payless Liquors hotline. He is here in Indianapolis. He's one of our favorites, the great Field Yates, NFL insider for ESPN. Field, where have your ventures taken you downtown Indianapolis outside of the old convention center so far this week?
9: Oh, man, pretty much everywhere it feels like it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always great to be joining you. So uh, I feel very full. I've had plenty of steak so far. I've been to St. Elmo's, had enough shrimp. So, um, I don't know if that makes me sound like a tourist when I say that I just basically go to every spot that you'd expect someone to go to when they visit the great city of Indianapolis, but I'll survive if that's how I am being labeled now.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, listen, we like – spend all your money here, Field. That's the way we like it, right? Or ESPN um, money. That's right. Hey, let's begin with this. I was talking about this earlier, and I want your perspective on it. Um We obviously know that there are probably four names that that are going to be quarterbacks that are going to be taken high in this draft. Does that mean that this is a quarterback-rich draft field, or does it mean that there aren't necessarily players that jump out at you if you are not of quarterback need, and thus the quarterbacks are going to be taken high just because there aren't necessarily trajectory-changing players at other positions high in this draft?
9: Actually, a really great question, an interesting way to think about the class in general, because there are actually multiple factors in play, in my estimation. Uh, we know that quarterbacks tend to be thrust up the board just because it's such an important position. It is the most important position in all of sports. You have a great one, you have a chance. Um, when you don't, you find yourself you know, kind of on the hamster wheel where the Colts uh, have been for the past few years. Um, So there's that factor, but there's also the factor that you alluded to, which is that I don't know that this draft is full of marquee players elsewhere, right? Like, I don't know that we have 10 guys that are absolute stone cold, no doubt about it, blue chip players that are not quarterbacks. Maybe the the number is 10, but it it may not be 20. And I think in a normal draft, you may be looking at more depth across the board in terms of positional value not at quarterback. So um, I do think that this draft will be defined by the quarterbacks, and I think that that's a stark contract from la- contrast from last year when, of course, there was just one quarterback taken in the first round. It was Kenny Pickett, who was a solid but unspectacular prospect. But, yeah, I think if you're picking in the top ten and you need a quarterback, this actually is a pretty good year to have the needs and the value all aligned.
1: Field, if I threw out quarterbacks go one, two, and three, what percentage would you give that to happen?
9: Ooh, I, maybe not 50-50, just because, and here's the reason why I say that, but maybe it, maybe it is 50-50, but not much more than that. The reason I say it is that we know Chicago and Arizona are going to be taking one, and the question is just how, like, what sort of freight are the teams willing to pay to get up to one and three, respectively, if we assume that Houston stays at two. Um, And in that circumstance, I would imagine that Indianapolis, if if it happens one, two, three, I think it means that the Colts have either moved up or, and if they have not moved up, by the way, that means that two other teams are paying a major price to move up because the more teams that you have to skip who plausibly need a quarterback, the more expensive the price to move up is. That's just how it's going to be. So right now, the reason why the Bears have leverage at the very top of the board is because I believe there is a legitimate case for the Texans to move up, obviously the Colts to move up. You could make the case for Seattle and Detroit to move up the board to ensure that they got a quarterback or the quarterback that they wanted if they decided they wanted to use one of those premium picks Carolina, Atlanta, et cetera, there's a lot of potential movement. So I don't think it's going to happen with one, two, three, but if it does, it'll be good for all our business because it will mean that we have had some wacky trade leading up to it.
1: He's a great Field Yates, NFL insider for ESPN, co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You also hear him on with Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay. He does a great job quarterbacking that podcast this time of year as well. Uh, Field focusing on the Bears and probably the biggest news item so far of Combine Week, and that was Jalen Carter and the arrest last night right. and his involvement in that tragic incident involving the death of two players associated with the Georgia program. How do you view that in regards to Chicago and Arizona? You mentioned Chicago at one and Arizona at three. Do you view the Jalen Carter situation as maybe that removes him from the top five and all of a sudden Will Anderson becomes more of a priority? So maybe Chicago and Arizona won't want to trade back? Or do you view that as now those picks become more available to trade up with because now there isn't another non-quarterback worthy of a top five pick?
9: Yeah. Another interesting one there. And I think we all, you know, obviously there's still a lot to unfold with this situation, right? We don't know exactly uh, how it is going to conclude. It is devastatingly sad that, you know, as you mentioned two people are, are no longer alive and Jalen Carter uh, did make clear on Twitter that uh, in a statement that he released that he expects to be fully exonerated, uh, from any charges. Um, so we'll see how this actually unfolds. Um, So I think I'll stop short of like making too many assumptions about how it will, or won't go. What I will say though, is I always remind people that, you know, draft evaluation is like a multi-pronged approach and you get the football component of it, which in a lot of cases for all of us is pretty straightforward. Uh, Jalen Carter is one of the most talented players in this year's class. He would have been one of the most talented players in last year's class. And he's probably one of the most talented players in next year's class as well. Um, But this is a reminder that you're not just investing in the player you're investing in a human. And if this is, um, not, not, um, this specific type of behavior where he's involved in, you know, potentially street racing and that could have contributed to a car crash, a fatal car crash. Um, but like if, if, if accountability as a trait is something you're concerned with, with a prospect, it does impact his draft stock. So, um, I don't know exactly how it's going to all shake out, but, It's just a reminder to people that um, we have to, you know, teams have to dig deeper. There are multiple parts of the puzzle that aren't just okay. Well, he's an awesome pass rusher, or he's an awesome receiver, or he's a great left tackle. There's a lot that goes into it.
2: Field does it compromise? And and again, Field Yates is our guest from ESPN. He's on the Payless Lakers hotline. I want to make very clear, as you did very well their field you know in within perspective we understand the tragedy of the fact that two people lost their life i mean that's obviously the real um in terms of this incident with jalen carter or his involvement or lack thereof but that's the obviously the overwhelming storyline and that is understood but from the standpoint of this combine and this draft does jalen this Car- question mark about jalen carter's value now as the number 1 overall pick not as a player but just all that comes with it does that now compromise the leverage that Chicago has with that number one overall now? Because teams can now say to them, hey, listen, you might as well deal with us because what are you going to do? You can take a guy number one overall that that had to leave the combine to go serve an arrest warrant. Does it hurt in any way, shape, or form Chicago's positioning?
9: I don't think so. And the reason why is that I don't necessarily think that the teams that will be moving up to number one competing against what Chicago might do otherwise. It's competing against the possibility that if you're the Colts, this is an example, and you think that you can not move up all the way to four because uh, you don't know that Chicago's going to get a deal, well, you might have Carolina come up ahead behind you, or, or Seattle, or Detroit, or any of those teams that, as I mentioned before, have a legitimate case to move up. So I mean, maybe it impacts things a tiny bit, um, but I also am reminded that just because we on the outside sort of view a player or you know a players as like clear cut one or clear cut top two, maybe the league wasn't there yet. So it's possible that how Jermaine, excuse me, that how Jalen Carter was being valued prior to yesterday is different inside the league than how we on the outside of the league were sort of discussing him. So um, I think. Chicago still is in like a fairly strong position of leverage and it's always also determined by circumstances. You know, I don't know that um, in a different year that a team who has a first year head coach who's been on the job for less than a month would be sort of, you know, they would be anxious for a quarterback. Um, That being said, Obviously, the general manager, who has been here for a long time, is anxious for a quarterback, and so is, a, so is the owner. And I know that Chris Ballard has deservedly gotten a strong vote uh, you know, of support from Jim Irsay, but I'm sure he probably realizes that if he doesn't get a quarterback soon, you know, fans are going to come calling for, for change. And so that might be why Indianapolis, as an example, and Houston, as an example, even at four and two, respectively, are saying, we got to get this right this year because we don't have time to waste anymore.
1: Kenny's Field Yates from ESPN. You've heard him on with us before. Gracious with his time here at the Combine on this Thursday morning. You brought up Detroit and Seattle as other teams that could potentially jump Indianapolis um, and get higher into the draft to take a quarterback. I think the first domino in all of this is probably the Derek Carr situation. Um, obviously Aaron Rodgers, but you know, Carr's been here in Indy. He's met with teams. Frank Reich talked about him very candidly yesterday. When you think of kind of an ideal landing spot for Derek Carr, wh- where are you?
9: Yeah, I'm assuming somewhere in the NFC South or the Jets. I think the three teams that have been mentioned the most are probably the finalists. And I, There's always the possibility of a late entrant into the party, but the Saints, the Panthers, and the Jets seem the most logical candidates. For Derek Carr, he's got familiarity in a couple of those spots. Really, In all those spots, you can make the case for some familiarity. And I think there's a different type of allure for each of them. New Orleans, he has the most familiarity. He would play for Dennis Allen, his prior head coach with the Raiders, even if it was a short tenure, uh, with then the Oakland Raiders uh, for Dennis Allen. Uh, Carolina, there's some familiarity as well. There's a case that Carolina would be the obvious NFC South favorite the moment they signed Derek Carr. And then with the Jets, maybe the case is it's the best roster, elsewhere. Elsewhere, like amongst those three. But I, you know, I would probably I would answer this question with the question: If the Jets sign Derek Carr right now, I mean, Buffalo's still the favorite in that division, right? Like I would, and, and you know, you're talking about a conference that has the Chiefs and you know the Chargers on the rise and the Bengals and potentially the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Like there's a lot of horsepower in the AFC that if I'm Derek Carr and I want to win, it sure feels like the the path to a playoff spot is uh, less uh, daunting in the NFC than it it is in the AFC.
2: Field Yates is our guest. Field, my last question is this. I I likened this yesterday to this analogy. When I was in high school and you were applying to colleges – The narrative, at least when I was in school, was your grade point average and your resume within the high school was like 80% of the decision, and then the SAT score was kind of your tiebreaker. If you were on the fence, a good SAT score could certainly help you, but not necessarily hurt you. When it comes to the NFL Combine and this particular weekend, or this week, what percent of it is the, the measurables in terms of the physical things that guys are doing during a workout the 40 time the broad jump the the bench press etc and then what percent of it is the actual interviews and the ability to communicate and show your character with teams
9: on average the most important part of this week is the medicals For, for like if you were to say you know for the 320 guys here what's the most important part on average it's the medicals because in the case of some of them there are known you know physical issues that they're entering the combine with that have to be sorted through and there are others where it's something that you thought was a thing of the past that all of a sudden is a thing of the present and a concern for the future. Um, and I think beyond that, though, it's a little bit sort of specific to each prospect. Um, so Bryce Young, obviously, you know, the most important part for him is going to be his weight. Honestly, I, I can't recall, maybe you guys uh, have better, better memory of this, but, like, when was the last time a prospect's weight... Was talked about as much as Bryce Young's was, and I suppose maybe the answer is Devontae Smith. Uh, but even Devontae Smith, it was like you know a wide receiver. Or something. He's getting hit what ten times a game, maybe if he gets that many targets. So um, Bryce Young's weight will be a massive question, as will his height. And then you go to other players where you know it's a, it's a cornerback. that tape tells you he looks like a star, but you're a little concerned if he runs a four or five as opposed to a four three. Um, so I'd say beyond the medical, it's like definitely prospect-specific.
1: Field, last one from me. Um, and again, appreciate your time here on this Thursday morning. Field Yates from ESPN is with us. Uh, you obviously talk to Mel Kiper and Tom McShay a whole lot, and you do your own homework. We talk so much quarterback, and uh, rightfully mm-hmm. so, I rightfully guess. So, I but guess. where else do you see draft depth here in 2023? Um, some other positions that you feel like has pretty good depth in this draft class.
9: Yeah, everybody's been talking about the tight end class, which I do agree is is, is very, very, very good. I don't know that there's – but there's not a Kyle Pitts prospect, and obviously Kyle Pitts had a disappointing year last year. But, you know, there wasn't – it wasn't a question about whether he would go in the top ten. It was – would he be the highest tight end ever drafted? Really good tight end group. I think the cornerback group is interesting. I think there's got, like, pretty good flavor, pretty pretty good, like, differing skill set for each of the top four or five guys. I think the offensive tackle group kind of drops off after the first four or five, but it's pretty good. Pass rushers, you know, we have Will Anderson, we have Tyree Wilson, uh, we have a couple other guys who could go in the top 15. Again, it sort of depends on which draft analyst or team you are talking to. But the, the the pass rushing group has some good depth as well. So those are some of the spots that I think certainly check the boxes. And then, you know, I think kind of every year we're talking about running back having pretty good depth, right? Part of the reason why, um, you know, the value of a running back uh, in the first round is, is, is sort of depreciating or has depreciated over time. Although I do think there's an excellent chance that Bijan Robinson is the highest drafted running back since Saquon Barkley and probably comes close to being worth that pick. Um, but I, I think those are some of the spots that come to mind for me.
1: Yeah, and Field Yates, you can catch him on first draft. That's Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay. And Field does a wonderful job of keeping those two in line as best as possible and getting their terrific insight. And obviously he is all over ESPN. Field's great run into yesterday. Um, hope Indy treats you well this week and safe travels back home.
9: I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks to the great city of Indianapolis. I hope that we're here for many, 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 many more years going forward at the combine because there is no more perfect
1: place for it i love hearing that thanks field all right guys take care that's field yates it's right there big combine question there to end right on the Payless liquors hotline again in indy for 2024 the bidding process will continue after that for the combine we mentioned it earlier or i guess, certainly mentioned it with field right there um tom mcshay and mel kuyper he is on that podcast, Mark. You said there was a Kuiper clip on Chicago radio about the Colts. Yeah, from so Mel Kuiper yesterday. So
3: one of the shows I listen to just to stay in touch with Chicago sports is this Waddle, is Waddle and Sylvie, which is on ESPN One Thousand. And they had Mel Kuiper Junior. on earlier in the week, and he was discussing uh, his latest mock draft, where he has the Bears trading not once but twice in the first round, the second overall pick uh, trading with the Texans, and then trading down before with the Colts. So the Colts move up to number two. Um, and he also stated why he thinks the Colts are possibly not not looking at Bryce Young, but maybe someone else at quarterback. So I can play that clip right
1: now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. queued up. I think Chris Bauer, to me, when I look at Indy,
9: I think they want a bigger quarterback. That's why I made the four to two move because I think I think uh, they're going to go up to me and get Stroud or Levis or Richardson. I think they want the big guy.
1: I mean, certainly when we talk about measurable. Tri- By the way, how great is Mel Kiper's voice?
2: It's pretty good. Such an iconic. And he coach. looks, I can't, I still can't figure out whether he looks more like Quentin Tarantino or Ken Softman. He,
1: he never opens his eyes, I feel like. I'm always wondering. I'm like, can you see? <laughs> he never <laughs> opens Man, his, his
2: eyes. I, I might have mentioned this to you guys before, before we get to what he said, but for, for what it's worth in kudos here, I think I told you guys, when I worked at Channel 6 and we were, you know, a, ABC and, and ESPN would do a lot of partnering stuff together, there was not a single, nowhere anywhere not a single more accommodating helpful and kind guy in that partnership than Kaiser. yeah I've not never heard a bad thing about he him. he was wonderful
1: and of course he's been an icon at ESPN for years decades um the measurable question you know we, we've said this before about quarterbacks if you took these four quarterbacks Bryce Young Anthony Richardson Will Levis and CJ Stroud and let's say their height and weights were at linebacker Bryce Young will be the one written off immediately by Chris Ballard. I mean, he is such a measurable guy. And he was asked that question yesterday, and he did throw in the caveat of there are exceptions, but they do love traits. So I think it's something that is worth mentioning. I... I, I am not one that's writing Will Levis off for the Colts. I, I know there's some people out there that have certainly varying opinions on him and probably more negative than positive when you talk about him going in the top five. But he is a one that I just keep on coming back to as someone that would be of interest to Chris Ballard, knowing kind of how he operates. Mark, this is probably a question for you. I think of Jalen Carter news yesterday, does that keep Chicago outside of trading back – to four, like is four viewed as too low? You know, I, I you and I have, have had this conversation. I think what would make a lot of sense for Chicago would be to move from one to two, so then you get Houston's trade up, then you move from two to four, and you get Indy's trade up as well. But with this Jalen Carter news, and credit to Wes, the listener who pointed this out. Does that all of a sudden mean that Will Anderson means even more? Like now he is viewed as the one non-quarterback that you want to get your hands on. And if Chicago gets behind Arizona, does that take them out of the Will Anderson sweepstakes? And now they're getting a significant drop in that best non-quarterback prospect. It all depends on what
3: Ryan Poles thinks of the difference between Will Anderson and Jalen Carter and a guy like Tyree Wilson. If he thinks it's pretty similar then he could easily go from two to four and maybe even go a little farther down to get Tyree Wilson. It all depends on obviously whatever happens with Jalen Carter but I think I think Ryan Poles and, and Matt Eberflus are gonna do their homework and I've heard rumors that they really like Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson met with the media and said he's already met with the Bears twice already, so there's obviously some mutual interest there. Um, Obviously, we'll see what happens with the Jalen Carter thing. Ideally, uh, also in the Mel Kiper interview he did on that show, he mentioned that the Bears and Texans could get a deal done for number two a lot easier than it would be to work the number four pick, so you could see like a number two the second overall pick trade uh, being a lot easier to get done with the Texans and Bears than, say, a Bears and Colts trade because, obviously, there's more moving parts. You've got more teams competing for it. So um, the easiest part would be for the Colts to move with the Texans to two, and then they can worry about the four or wherever else they want to go after that.
1: I don't understand this. I just want to throw in on Tyree Wilson for those that don't know. Defensive end, Texas Tech, similar to Will Anderson, whereas Jalen Carter more of an interior defensive lineman. So I know we're throwing some names out there that maybe not our entire listening audience knows. I just want to toss that in
2: there. Here's my dumb guy question. If you're the Colts and you go back to that Mel Kiper sound clip, what good does it do you, Kevin, if you're drafting fourth and Houston second? What good does it do you to move up to number two if Houston's taking first?
1: Because you remove the chance that another team jumps you. I I, I guess. I mean, mean, Jake, remember those five teams we just talked about earlier in the show, right behind Indianapolis? All five of them you could talk yourself into drafting a quarterback. It's more of – You want to be the one doing the choosing and not having to dodge all these bullets.
2: And again, that's gonna come down to, I guess, whether or not they feel there is that great a difference one to four.
1: That and it's gonna come down to to four League wide intel. You know, do you have do you have you heard that the Lions want to trade up? Have right. you heard that the Falcons want to trade up? The Lions brought an extra helmet today. I, I do you think they brought that for me? Again, I think Dan Campbell was wearing one. I <laughs> he might try to fit another one on his head yeah, today. I
3: mean, sweet. One of the outliers I think is the Seahawks because they've got two first round picks. They've got the one from Denver from the Russell Wilson trade, which is the 5th overall, and then they have their own at 20. So they could easily flip those both both those picks with Chicago if they wanted to move up into the top
1: 4. So I, I know they're pretty far down the list, but I'm going to keep an eye on the Carolina Panthers at Uh 9. Frank Reich has assembled a staff that have some very direct connections to Chris Ballard, so they will know a little bit of Ballard's thought process and thinking. And Carolina, with new owner David Tepper, has not been afraid to spend really big on the coaching staff standpoint. This is a guy that wants to make splashes. And I know it's nine that they'd have to trade all the way up into the top, whatever, two or three. But they have a quarterback need. And with Frank Reich just going through the carousel that he did here in Indianapolis, that is a team that I'm not writing off either. And, again, they would have some intel with the Colts here. Boy, that would be a massive
3: haul for Carolina. It would be, but
1: we have – I mean – who knows, right? I know it didn't work out great for him in the long run, but in the short term it did. We saw Philadelphia trade all the way up from 15 to 2 for Carson Wentz. Two separate trades back in 2016.
2: You know what I think I might do today, Kevin? Tell me if you think people would find this of interest. you to Huh? You're going to take a nap? Well, i got to take a midterm later, but... Um midterm man we're already there people can let me know a either. either via twitter or you can always obviously text me which is five two three ninety two eighty eight that's a three one seven area code needless to stay five two three ninety two eighty eight i think a lot of people when we talk about the combine and, and i think i take for granted the access that we have here because i'm a little bit spoiled you know we've been through this before it's tremendous access i i, I think i should do a video behind the scenes where i start on the other side and show are we allowed to do that oh yeah and show like hey here's here's what all the podiums are here's the rooms where the prospects come in here are the you know everything that is set up and then come around this is the radio row and just give everybody a glimpse of the atmosphere and the environment that we're around here at the nfl combine i think when we get done with the show today i should do that and put it up on our website yeah Nick, can we do that Okay, Nick Cottingham, who, who is the photographer extraordinaire, videographer extraordinaire. Um, well, and has we been don't have the bench press in his in laptop. What's that? We don't have the bench well, press Well, I know. There. I was going to have you and Nick actually stand and just grunt really loudly next to me, um, which is what happened to us last year when we were here near the bench press, and we had the the one guy, the little five foot 260-pound, 3% body fat guy um, that was wearing bike coaches shorts and screaming at all those was guys. Was that Deuce Gruden? I believe John's <laughs> son, Deuce. I wasn't going to say any names. Yeah. Come
5: on! Come on! Jake's video yeah.
2: ends.
3: Jake's video ends with him hauling ass out of there with the lion's helmet. That's what how that ends.
1: <laughs> Pop hey quiz man. coming up in a few. 317-239-1070. Right. Zach Keeper is going to join us to round out the show. Zach will be with us here on Radio Row. And before that, let's hit a morning check.
0: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
2: Looks like they're bringing food around, Kevin. Just it, so you know, it, they're, it. they're walking right there, beelining right to us. I think it's a little shrimp cocktail that they're bringing. Boy, over. that'll
1: clear your sinuses right. here, Mark. You want to come over here? We can have a rematch in the my old way. shrimp cocktail. Jake is running I'll out right of here. the convention center here. I'll show you guys right now. I'll, on I'll this do it Thursday no morning. No problems. Uh, let's lead off with last night, no- or I guess tonight. We're previewing I'm Indiana, the Pacers, You're
2: and I'm going to do a shrimp cocktail right here. Come on, Kevin. You want one, Kev? Yeah, bring it over. Oh, this looks beautiful. We'll clear the sinuses on this okay. Thursday morning. There we go. Uh, tonight, it'll be the
1: Pacers and the Spurs. Give, give it to the YouTube chat here. Yeah, uh, of course. The, the Pacers and the Spurs tonight, uh, 830 tip in San Antonio. Indiana's won each of the last two road contests. Uh, they are now... 20, is it twenty-seven and thirty-five? I think off the top of my head, that is their record. Uh, they are a four-point favorite in this one. Tyrese Halliburton is questionable with the calf injury. Jake, are you questionable for the rest of the show with the shrimp? i no, shrimp cocktail.
2: I just hit me. I'm good. You guys thought that I couldn't do this because I had COVID during the shrimp cocktail eating contest last year, and I'm just here to show you. I'm good. No problem. You did did one. You did one on your own. We have half a bite here in a very. I'm teary eyed. It's not the shrimp cocktail, it's the fact that Zach Kiefer showed up and looks like he's getting ready to do a J. Crew photo shoot.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll push the pop quiz a little bit here now with Zach Kiefer in the building. Uh, Tonight, Purdue in Wisconsin. That is from the Kohl Center at 9 o'clock. Purdue is a four point favorite in that one. Chucky Hepburn, leading guard for Wisconsin, banged up. Over the weekend, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Outright Big Ten title up for grab for the Boilermakers. These guys at Shrimp Co- with a win. Saint
2: Elmo knows what they're doing. They walk around at this deal, hand out the shrimp cocktail, and everybody's like, "Man, now I got to go to Saint Elmo." They know exactly what well, they're you doing. You gotta love it. 930,
1: Brilliant at nine thirty in the morning. Here's
2: your here's your breakfast. Here. It's what? Are you kidding me? It's the best. Yeah, it's the best. I love Saint <laughs> Elmo because like everyone knows what it is, but they. They never give. They never stop the marketing, man. They know what they're doing, and they never fail to deliver. Ever. Uh, what, what were we talking? Did you already mention college basketball? A mid bit bite. <laughs> Kevin's hurting over here. Kevin is hurting, right?
3: Our our uh, our executive producer extraordinaire Todd says that uh, it doesn't count that your head is off camera, so you couldn't see that if you
2: actually ate it, Jane. Oh well, here. Okay, bring me some more. Then Where, where'd they go? Sorry, I was standing up. My apologies, everybody, on the YouTube Should chat. Should I turn my mic on at the same time, or is that... Come on. Probably, probably not the I don't best know. Guys thing. are taping stuff around me. Uh, I got the shrimp cocktail going. I don't even know. What did you mention in the morning check down? Did you do college basketball? Yeah, I think we're good. Uh, did you mention the NBA? Zach Kiefer joins us next. Pacers in San Antonio. Zach Kiefer from the I need some water. Athletic is here. Zach has walked over. He's getting ready to hit the slopes, it looks like, on uh, out in Aspen. But first, he's going to join us next here, live from the Combine at the Indiana Convention Center. It's Kevin Inquiry, 93.5, 107.5, the fan.
8: I smell like an egg salad sandwich, but it really, really works. Now.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
2: I'll let you, you and Zach talk because you guys got on me, Todd Meyer, because I ate the shrimp cocktail, but I was standing up, so I wasn't on camera. You did so eat I, it. I did. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a And this one's pretty loaded, actually. And I will admit, I have very weak sinuses. I'm the first to admit it. There's no better allergy medicine than shrimp cocktail. You guys
1: go ahead. Sinuses cleared. Zach Kiefer's with us here on Radio these at sex? the Convention Center. I haven't center. had
10: any coffee yet. Right. So that might just be the way to wake up this morning oh percent. right we'll get i mean over literally here,
1: right? just smell it probably is is I the had best a, way. I had a couple
10: the other night so i'm i i had my feel this week though
1: <laughs> zach keeper from the athletic is with us he was obviously here yesterday for shane Steichen and, and chris ballard and those pressers zach it's lying season and i feel like you just have to throw that into every caveat whenever we talk about you know people in positions of authority speaking to the media My biggest takeaway yesterday was Chris Ballard as of March 1st is hesitant on trading up. That's what he wants
10: us to think. Do you believe it? Is it smokescreen? What was your big takeaway from Chris Ballard? Did you hear the last question I asked? We had him off to the side, kind of behind a wall, away from the normal podium, and I said, where do you feel about four right now? He says, I love four. Nowhere else I'd rather be. We're going to get the best player in the draft. And I said, really? That was such a politician answer. And and that's kind of what I feel like yesterday was about. First of all, I think on two levels, it was about downplaying this team's desperation to go get a quarterback, right? Jim Irsay mentioned how much he loves Bryce Young and Shane Steichen's intro presser. That's not good. And then a lot was made of Chris Ballard's comments back on January 10th. I would do whatever it takes to go get that guy at the top of the draft. Chicago essentially just penciled it in, right? It's going to happen. The Colts are going to trade up. They're desperate. I think yesterday was Ballard's attempt, whatever you believe or not, to downplay that desperation. But I still don't know if I believe him. Now, Zach,
2: sorry, Kevin. I want to throw this in because I'm the classic overthinker, right? I'm the classic cynic. Did Jim Irsay tip his hand that he loved Bryce Young, or did he simply say the Alabama guy? And we assumed, because of the Colts' need, it's the quarterback. But perhaps Jim Irsay, who finds himself to be the outside-the-box football thinker, was thinking of another Alabama prospect that's a top-five player. He wants the quarterback he wants a quarterback more than anybody
10: more than any fan out there more than anybody in the building he wants a quarterback he is dead tired of the veteran qb
2: was he route. playing poker by making that comment or is it more is it safer to say jim ursay was unfiltered? i think ursay is being ursay he's saying what he thinks he yeah. can't help himself
10: there's
1: no way i can see him huddling with shane Steichen, and chris ballard in the indoor facility before that starting saying watch this i'm gonna go out there and smoke not the screen in a the hell million years no i think that was ursay being ursay um other Ballard related stuff from yesterday Zach and I guess I'll go back to the first question feel free to take it wherever you want but we're still very I think early in the Colts evaluation on these guys I mean you think about it they're meeting with quarterbacks this week so for Shane second, and Chris Bauer this is the first time that they've potentially talked with these guys one-on-one you're gonna have a pro day you might bring them in for a top 30 workout you know I go back to that 2018 draft when he was sold on Quentin Nelson That was Notre Dame's pro day. He said a guard can go at six overall. That was in late March. So I feel like from an evaluation standpoint, we're probably only about 50% there with how the Colts view
10: these QBs. Not even 50. And, And this week is so overrated. I was talking to a Colts staffer yesterday, and they said, like, this week is all about interviews and measures and, and, and medical, right? Medical, like, the boring yeah. stuff, right?
1: Nothing Saturday on the field. And I'm going to go
10: well. Saturday. I'm going to watch these guys throw. And it's not going to matter. Like Ballard said yesterday, you can see everything you need to see physically on the tape. It's not going to be what they do against air on Saturday throwing to receivers they don't know. One of the interesting thing Ballard mentioned was that you can get a lot from the interviews with the media. We're talking quarterbacks, right? Face of the franchise the pressure that's going to come with that position. He wants to see how these guys handle the 15-minute media blitz they get. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, for these top quarterbacks. But here's what I want to ask you guys. They downplayed the measurables on Bryce Young. That's, that's the question. And right? I think everything, everything in this decision comes down to one thing. How do they evaluate Bryce Young? If he's the guy, you go get him. It doesn't matter. You can't allow Houston to draft him and then lose to him for 10 years. That's just a terrible look. But secondly... It's, does Chris Ballard bend on his very disciplined approach with measurables, traits, physical ability? That's going to be a really interesting and difficult decision in that draft room over the next couple of months that you mentioned. Because Shane Stagg kept talking about the it factor as opposed to the physical traits being the most important thing for him. He's got to love football. I feel like it's going to be really hard for Ballard to draft Bryce Young in a lot of ways because he's not
2: what he thinks a quarterback should look like physically. Zach, I said this this morning off the top of our show. When you talk about football and you talk about players and you talk about coaching, oftentimes you talk about flexibility and, and making adapting, right? Making changes, whatever. I think what we have seen in a good way— is maybe we're seeing somewhat of an adapting from Chris Ballard and whether he knows it or not Chris Ballard to me when he was talking to the media at one point he said I know you guys have a narrative I know you got you know he he, he he it's our fault right we're just we're just making stuff up then later in the same press conference Zach he talked about the offensive line and said you know what I was wrong in a lot of the areas in which I evaluated this offensive line and what was affecting it and you know what else he did without even realizing it he admitted we weren't we not, weren't. Not the first time. Right? So so as a result of that, I think what you're seeing now is that Chris Ballard, without even realizing it, is admitting to the fact that he is showing flexibility and adjustment in the way that he builds a franchise. Yeah, there was a lot of pushback in the
10: last couple of years. I mean, Kevin was called out multiple times right. for asking about receivers, right? and they weren't good enough at receiver. And I think, you know, once they sort of figured that out this year, it became a lost topic because of so many other issues but i think you're right jake and after the season he promised to evaluate every inch of the operation because it was all messed up right what led to four, twelve, and one wasn't just the quarterback and it wasn't just the offensive line it was everything together and they a lot of them pushed some of the blame onto frank reich and pushed it away from jeff saturday we don't need to rehash all of that but my takeaway from this past season was everything needs to be evaluated your entire approach and again, the big thing is he admits to screwing up on the offensive line. You're going to draft a young quarterback who's not going to be Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning, who's not going to be able to handle all of that right away. What kind of offensive line are you going to put him behind? And I thought it was an important question yesterday. Is that a personnel issue? Is that a coaching issue? They've got a new coach coming in, but I still think they've got a huge question at right guard. And maybe a lot of teams overlook that position. This team cannot. And if you roll with Ryman at left tackle, that's still a question. So to your, to your point, Jake, he needs to reevaluate his thinking because it's deeply flawed and it led to the disaster that was this past season.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to say that he has like looked in the mirror and admit, admitted all this wrong. Like, I, 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 That's fair also. You know, I, I just don't know if I'm ready to say that yet. And maybe I just have to see actions. It doesn't matter what he says. Me, right. All and, that matters and, is what they and do. And to be fair to him, he can only talk right now. You know, you can't yeah. really do anything action-wise. Free agency starts in less than two weeks, that's when you'll start to get some actions. And then, of course, the draft, we'll have to see that pl- play out. Um, shifting gears to the staff, Zach, what did you make of the Bubba Ventrone thing? Is that a, we wanted him back and Cleveland sweetened the pot? What do you... He's going home. What did you make of that?
10: Talk to Bubba this week, without getting into too many details. He does have family out there. Maybe that's an. Maybe that's a pull back to Cleveland. He played there. That matters He's a, a Pittsburgh lot. Pittsburgh native him. for those unfamiliar. And this is me talking, and this is not Bubba talking. But they pi- bypassed him for Jeff Saturday in a situation where a lot of players expected him to be the head coach. When Frank Reich was out with COVID a couple of years ago, who did they turn to? Not Matt Eberflus, not... They turned to Bubba Ventrone, who was... And he didn't get a second interview, correct? Did he not just get had a second interview, just had the interview. first one. Um, him and Ballard are tight. He's still tight with a lot of guys on the staff. I think he felt like if I had a chance to jump with a promotion and title, it, it, I felt like it was him saying, I'm, I'm ready to bounce.
1: Again, Zach Heaver from The Athletic is with us here live at the Combine. We are at the Convention Center. Workouts begin today for the defensive prospects coming up this afternoon, as Zach alluded to. Big morning tomorrow with the quarterbacks meeting the media. Um, I hope I don't catch you off guard with this. Did you see the Wink Martindale story from yesterday? I did not. Okay, so Wink Martindale with NewJersey.com, and again, Wink, uh, defense coordinator at the Giants, interviewed here, had a second interview here. Um, he said to them that the Colts' job could have been his if he would have abided by some of the guidelines the team wanted. This is Wink Martindale's comments. I'll read this quote. Uh, this is from Martindale to Bob Brokover of NJ.com. I do know I was the leading candidate, but there were some things they wanted to do that I didn't want to do. What do you make of that? Gus Bradley. Okay, that was my first thought. If that is, Did Chris Bauer say in interviews Gus Bradley
10: is the defensive coordinator here? I don't know if he said that explicitly, but that was implied. That's what the team wanted to do. And I have a problem with that. If you're going to hire a defensive coach, let's say hypothetically, you're seriously considering Wake Martindale. You don't tell him to hire. Without a question. He, you let him hire whoever And his he defense wants. is
1: very different than Gus Bradley's.
10: It's very different, and you let the coach hire the coaches that's going to work for him. Um, I know a lot of the coaches, including Shane Steichen, pushed for Gus Bradley to remain in that role, which he will. But, and I know a lot of people, you know, I just don't like teams telling coaches who to hire. And I think that was a little bit of the issue with Wink Martindale. Maybe he would have gotten the job. Maybe he wouldn't have, regardless of what he decided to do with Gus Bradley. But I don't think you should be telling the defensive coach who his coordinator should be.
2: Zach, I've asked a lot of people this this week. Zach Kiefer is our guest here on site at the Combine. And I I know for the Colts it's, it's quarterback. I mean, I get it. Do you think this is a draft that has three or four quarterbacks that are going to be taken up towards the top? because there are three or four quarterbacks that are franchise talents or because there are more than three or four teams that need quarterbacks and there are not a lot of great players at other positions? It's probably the latter.
10: Yeah. Jake, I heard you guys guys talking with Field Yates, and I've been talking to people around the league this week, and it's like I'm kind of just living in this bubble right now with the Colts and the teams ahead of the Colts, right? Houston's obviously the biggest competitor for that top quarterback. But, like, what if Seattle – Moves up. What if they feel like they could get a guy who could sit for a year behind Gino? I mean, what exact. about Detroit,
2: who's loaded up with the picks? Jets? Like there are teams that, that, that I'm just throwing out the Jets. You, there are teams out there that you, you may not even think about that you're like, well, wait a minute, Falcons and Panthers are in the top ten. Falcons, Panthers. I mean, there's a lot of them, right? And if you get a good quarterback in the NFC South, he's
10: immediately the best quarterback oh, no in the crush. NFC South because they don't have anybody I think right Center now. Center Grove starter is the best quarterback. If I'm eight. Derek Carr, I'm going to the I'm FC going South. to Carolina because it's like. Who else are the quarterbacks in that division right now? But, no, you're right. And, and and that's the thing that really a lot of people haven't discussed is because Ballard is like, I love four, I love four. Yeah, but what does four look like in April? That's the question. Who is in front of you in, in April? And how much does this Jalen Carter situation bump him down in a lot of teams' eyes, especially Chicago? because Chicago feel like they can still get him at four? And, and that's going to be the fascinating part because – The Colts have really, in a way, boxed themselves in. They have to take a quarterback. It's an imperfect draft, and these are imperfect prospects, and they're going to have to live with whatever happens, but you guys feel good sitting on your hands and sitting back at four? I'm telling you
2: right now, here's the thing. I do not. Zach, I keep saying this. What I keep saying over and over and over, and I don't know the answer to this yet, is that's gonna come down to whether or not how great the gap is in their assessment between one to four right if they if, if to them they're interchangeable you then, stay then four you're okay you for you're you're fine correct yeah. and I, I when are they ever interchangeable though I, I get it when it they're just not seems when, so when, rare when none of them are elite that's when
10: they're interchangeable that's These my prospects point. are so different though from from my you know blind view like
2: they're they're so different. We are There's so much nuance with the quarterback. The, the good, the luxury you have there, Zach if any, is the Colts have a head coach who has shown a track record of being able to work with different styles of quarterback. So you're not as pigeonholed, right? Right, hundred percent. And I thought Shane Steichen. I, I really liked what we heard from him yesterday. He was very
10: direct, didn't waste words, very confident in what he thinks. And I think the most, the thing that stood out to me the most was him saying over and over, "It's that it factor, that intangible thing we always say in the media that we don't really." or not really able to describe, but he, he wants a guy that's going to love ball. And that's not going to be learned this week, right? It's not going to be learned in these 15-minute interviews. But you mentioned the pro days and those long 30 visits. Like, that's where they're going to start to really feel. And he said they're going to vet everything they can. They're going to call every teammate they can. I think that's where Steichen's going to be sold on the quarterback. Forget the tape, forget the stuff, the measurable stuff. These guys are all talented physical specimens. It's the it factor, and that's the hardest thing to find, and that's why so many quarterbacks And you mentioned that bust. yesterday with Justin
1: Herbert and their interactions with him during the draft process. Zach, you got like five more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to take a break here, and uh, we'll come back one final time here.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider kisimta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: Zach Kiefer live at the combine. All right, we're rounded another day out here at the combine. Zach Kiefer joining us for another segment here to close things out. Obviously, Zach's work up on the athletic free agency. We mentioned Zach a week or uh, yeah, a week from Wednesday. Thirteen days away. Uh, In house wise, any opinions on Yanni Kangakwe, Paris Campbell, Bobby Okereke?
10: Maybe Paris. I don't think the other two are back. I think Bobby Okereke ends up in Chicago. No on Ngakwe with Gus Bradley back. Were you impressed with Ngakwe this year? Uh, I, I thought w- his sack numbers were a little misleading. I, I was not as impressed as the numbers would
1: look. Like if you would have told me 15 games played, 9.5 sacks, 27 years old, those are dream numbers. The Colts haven't gotten a defensive end in years. did feel like 9.5 sacks. Yeah, and the fourth quarter came around. You know, He was not closing for you at all. My question though was just who else at defensive end. Well, or, he
10: mentioned it yesterday, the GM. Just
1: so much on Quiddy Pay's plate, so much on it, Dio. It's a little
10: bit play. of a jump to go with Quitty and Dio in year 3 for them as the starters at defensive end, but Ngakwe's is going to want a lot of money and I just don't feel like that's the best pay. Like I just don't feel like he's worth the money. He's he's smaller than it seems. He doesn't win in the fourth quarters. He he got a lot of kind of like, you know, end of half sacks and it just didn't feel like that was the right play. It just my gut tells me that was not the investment the Colts want to make moving
2: forward. I thought Kevin made a great point yesterday, which is the Colts are kind of in a pickle with O'Karake because what you want to pay him or what his worth to you is is largely predicated on the availability of Shaquille Leonard. And, and they're not going to know till after the fact the availability of Shaquille Leonard, right? I mean, it's a... Thank God for Zaire Franklin. Yeah, you're right. Because right, he's there. Um, I talked to
10: Bobby at length about this at the end of the season, and he's going to go in with an open mind. Remember, third-round pick, this is his chance to cash in because he was underpaid for what he produced the last four years in Indianapolis.
2: He had a nice year last year.
10: I mean, he did, And nobody noticed it. The defense was solid for the most part. He was a big part of that. Zaire played well and had all the tackles. But... Um, I think Okereke is not going to just jump at the biggest number thrown his way. He's going to go for fit. He knows this is an important decision. He's going to be patient. He didn't rule out coming back. He obviously has an affinity for Matt Eberflus. Everybody on that defense talked about potentially reuniting with Matt Eberflus. It seemed like at the end of the season, but um, I don't know if you can give Okereke the contract he deserves while paying yeah, I don't Leonard hundred million dollars. The questions are real, Jake, because they can't answer those right now either. Right,
1: I, I'd bring back EJ Speed just because it makes more another sense guy, He's another guy that had a nice year, right? Um, Than Bobby okay. Uh Last one from me. Would you be more surprised to see
10: Ryan Kelly off this team come April 1 or Kenny Moore off this team come April 1? More surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at either. I'm not predicting anything. Um, I think both could be off this team in a variety of ways. I think Kenny could be included in a trade to Chicago, a potential trade. He voiced his concerns and disappointment and displeasure at the end of the season, very honestly saying to me and one other reporter, he didn't click with Gus Bradley. And he he wasn't the same player this season. And he seemed to blame part of it on this coaching scheme and part of it on his play. So it feels like if I had to pick one of the two, Kenny Moore will probably not be back. But we'll see. What are you working on? Quarterbacks. You're gonna be there Saturday to see him throw? I'm gonna be there tomorrow morning to hear them talk and I'm gonna hear <laughs> what I have to say and then I'm gonna be there Saturday to see what they see what they do on the field against no defense. He's
1: Zach Keeper from the Athletic Shane and joins us tomorrow at nine o'clock. It'll be our final day at the Combine. Everybody have a great Thursday.